Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, once more being hosted by me, Brian J. Rowan. As always, I am joined by Robin Barr. Hello. Bill Graham. Yes, yes, I'm here. Coward's a dog. (laughs) And with complete, no, no, we can't make the howling thing. Yes. Howling. Uh, yeah, if I if I didn't have to play the Backstreet Boys uh, to you know herald my return, um, I probably would have done some sort of like dumb opening, like it's me, leader of the dog pack. Oh, yeah, with my main dogs, Robin Barr, Bill Graham, and with us today to talk about uh, Jane Campion's Power of the Dog, which is now streaming on Netflix, a special guest, Charlie Nash. Hey guys, thanks for having me on again. Thank you for being here. Uh, would you Would you like to give us your your dog howl? Uh, oh no, that yeah. was terrible. <laughs> that was pretty good. Oh. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. You can try oh, again. <laughs> it's okay. We can keep going. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm fully willing to make this entire episode nothing but us making dog noises. Um, at some point, I will attempt to bark. I feel like the dog bark is a lot harder than dog howl. <laughs> Everyone has their own distinctive dog bark. <laughs> Robin, was that you? Yes. That was pretty good. That was Thank you. Good, that was a I good practice. like, I'm excited you're home, but I know you don't like me barking. Bark. That was really good. There was a story behind that bark. Anyway, talking about barking and stories. Annoying uh, my husband. We... <laughs> here today when i meet a dog i will like i'll if i meet a dog i'll be like and nick will be like stop that like stop egging on the dog (laughs) you have no idea what you're saying to him yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh boy uh anyway uh, as i said we're here to talk about power of the dog it's on netflix um i totally forgot charlie would you like to introduce yourself to our, our listeners at home uh, yeah, I'm uh, Charlie Nash. I'm a member of the Boston Online Film Critics Association. Uh, I recently started. Yeah, me and uh, Robin's in our group, too. Thanks for having. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, and uh, I have re- also recently started a uh, podcast um, with my friends, uh, Kevin and Bryden. Uh, it's called Almost Major, in which we talk about films from either dead or nearly dead studios right now we're doing artisan but we're all planning on doing you know films released by like orion and um oh, i'm blanking right now what, was <laughs> what it, other studios was doing. it a ri- was it, there was a one that like came onto the scene won an oscar and then dissolved was it like original films or open road or uh i know uh think we're gonna do i don't i don't know which one i know that which one you're referring to? I can't think of the name. They of did it right spot. Now. Wow, I'm right? doing a great job representing <laughs> <laughs> this plug. Uh, I think you know Warner Independent is another one. Um, oh, that's that still makes me sad. Yeah, um, 
I've been so we have, we have so many artists and films to cover right now that it's just blanking for me right now. Uh, but yeah, you should listen to that show too. Uh, we just talked about uh, Ghost Dog, which should be coming out soon, and um, the film Panic with Liam H Macy and Nev Campbell, which I didn't even know existed uh, oh, until a little while it. ago. There's a lot of films that we've been talking about that I just did not know existed until you know, we were assigned to do them. Like I didn't know the Jerry Springer movie ringmaster existed. Oh, I am during... so fucking aware of that movie. Never seen oh, it in love with it all the same. Oh, it's a horror. It's a, it's a total dumpster fire. Oh <laughs> yeah. Also... I, as it had to be, but we once lived in a time where a Jerry's Springer movie could be, uh, could be made. The, the poster was like him just looking like exhausted, right? With like a, it looks like he got beat up, but he doesn't yeah. get beat up in that movie. It's that movie's him patting himself on the back. It's, um, <clears throat> it's, uh, yeah, we did that. We did a one, two punch. I remember I, uh, I had a busy week, so I had to cram in both of my viewings right before I recorded. And we did that with uh, UA Ball's House of the Dead, which I had never seen. Oh, and, no. Uh, wow. I needed to. Yeah, I needed Your to drink after terrible. that double feature. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, hey, we get to cover good stuff like Ghost Dog. We're doing our Xmas, the Abel Ferrara film for this month. Uh, seasonally appropriate. So, yeah. Plus, Brian and Kevin are just wonderful guys. And it's always fun shooting the shit with them about anything, especially movies. So. Well, that's great. I wish I had time to watch a non 2021 movie. I'm, I know I'm... <laughs> they're the only they're the only non 2021 movies I've been watching. So I know I like I'm we watched a couple like maybe two over Thanksgiving and I was like, oh, I missed this. Like, I'm so over 2021. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of good stuff coming out, though. I mean, yeah. Um, Name just it. watch Drive My uh, Drive My Car. I just watched last night. That's one of the best films of the year. Uh I got to see Licorice Pizza early, another PTA. Oh. You went to uh, one of the afternoon screenings? I did. I managed to uh, wiggle my way out of uh, a shift at the Coolidge in order to go to that. Um, Souvenir Part 2 is lovely. Um, uh, and uh, the one, not to get too far ahead, but the one we're talking about today, I think, is uh, really something quite special. So, yeah. yeah. I um, I don't know. I feel I, I'm like... I'm not looking forward to any of the movies I haven't already seen. And technically my critics group has already voted. So I feel like I don't have to watch any more movies this year. I'm done. It's You're over. Done. What do you mean? I thought you just did nominations. No, we, we did nominations on Friday. Uh, and then we voted on Saturday. And then tomorrow, I what think everyone fuck? finds out. What do you mean? What the fuck? <laughs> you, you Are you in the Washington, D.C.? Yeah, uh, the Washington Area Film Critics Association. Why why would y'all do nominations and then a day later do final vote? What because we nominated them and then we voted on the ones we nominated. Yeah, what? that doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, that makes all the sense supposed, in the world. <laughs> it's supposed to give you like a week or two weeks so people that haven't seen those films have an opportunity to at least watch the things that got nominated. Yeah. Okay, well, that's fucking <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Robin and I have a little more free will in our voting group. We can pretty much put any 10 films or any yeah. you know, three performances in any acting category, which is fun for me because I tend to go a little bit against the green with some of these awards. So like, you I all doubt- just go like, so is your ugh, man, people listening to this are furious at us right now because no one cares <laughs> about this except us. But I don't care about what they care about. So do your your group, you just write everything down and then they just tally it and then it's announced as a winner like. Okay, that's we, see that makes sense to me. Bill would be mad because there was no chance for people to rewatch stuff. 
Not rewatch, like literally watch, because like sometimes the things get get nominated. Either you haven't have an opportunity to see, which Brian, I know. Oh yeah, I, I couldn't see anything. See this is a fucking things. nightmare year for me. Yeah, uh, but also like that gives you an opportunity to then like nominate something early, and then hopefully it withstands and gets to final vote, like. Yeah, they were like whole categories I couldn't cast a final vote on because I hadn't seen any of the things. But it's fine. I was able to vote faster. (laughs) What what one best picture uh, out of curiosity? I don't. uh, So we announced tomorrow and I don't know what it is yet. Like if they had sent me the list already, I would have told you guys because you guys are my best friends. And uh, (laughs) I know that this won't get this episode will not be released until sure. after the thing is released. So what do I care? But they have not told us yet. Gotcha. Mm. I will keep an eye on my email. Uh, in, in years past, they have sometimes told us the night before. Because I'm sure they're going to be up until like 2 a.m. drafting their press release. So if it happens, I'll let you all know. And uh, and I'll tell you what uh, what happened. I'm really curious. But I'm sure I'll read about it in like Variety or THR or something. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, I'm sure someone will, someone will say something. We did announce the nomination. Winners will be announced Monday, December 6th at 8 a.m. Like so I 12 said. hours from when yeah. we're recording. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I may know before. So. I'm in two groups, and one of them is like a little more indie sensibilities, and the other group is probably a little more mainstream. So I'm really curious how that's all going to play out. But it's kind of fun. Yeah, I, like I, I felt like an asshole because like I was I was nominating like movies that I knew had no chance to win because I was just like, hey, but I like it. Go <laughs> with your gut, man. Yeah, you I gotta mean, go with your instinct. I mean, uh, I doubt anyone else is gonna have Abel Ferrara's Siberia in their top ten right now, but I do. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as, as of now, yeah. as of now, things might change Friday, but like it's it's kind of freeing to be like, yeah, I know this isn't gonna win, but I don't. Care. I was actually <laughs> super excited that Coda got as many nominations as it did um, because oh, yeah. I was worried that it would be like too much of like a mainstream crowd pleaser. Yeah, or but forgotten because it, uh, it was on Apple. Yeah, but it, it stuck around. I know it got like adapted screenplay. I think that the youth performer and um, at least uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Supporting actor. So Robin, you'll be excited about that. Yeah. So we'll see. we'll see how it shakes out. Anyway, uh, oh man, I was gone for like one week and I've already forgotten how to host this. What are we talking about? Let's uh, let's do the thing. Let's uh, say that we can be found on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. You can email us, podcastfilmstage.com. And of course, you can become patrons of this podcast by going to patreon.com slash the Film Stage Show. Uh, for as little as one on episode, you get access to our Slack channel and first crack at all of our uh, cool raffles and stuff. The Slacks have been on fire this week. As people share their Spotify wrap ups and uh, silently judge one another. Not so I, for I do not succumb to Spotify. Yeah, I'm way too self conscious about my musical taste. Like, there's some stuff I'd want to show off, and then other stats come up, and I'm like, yeah, no. See, my stats, are, like, <laughs> my stats are inherently flawed because I listen to a set playlist to go to bed, right? So that doesn't count. And then. The song that got played most this year was the one that my daughter kept requesting. Like, that doesn't count. That's not me. That's my daughter. My daughter wants to listen to the shins. Oh, fuck off. What what are you saying fuck off for? My daughter is cool. and has. My daughter's favorite song is Simple Song by the Shins. Followed very closely. What? 
No, it's just I, I haven't heard that song in years. <laughs> it's I listened to it once in the car with her and she it has been nonstop. Like we drove to North Carolina uh, from D.C. And I would say that a good 50 percent was just listening to that song on repeat. Luckily, it's a good song. Um, she also loves Olivia Rigo's uh, Good For You, which is an interesting issue Classico. for me because I think it's a great song. But I also am very conflicted about my five-year-old screaming, screw that, screw you. <laughs> uh, she would have gotten it from you anyway. So it it's, I am pretty good at not cursing around my child. But at the I'm same shocked. time. <laughs> I know. I, I basically, I feel like I'm not good at cursing around your child. <laughs> and I've never <laughs> been around her. <laughs> but it's anyway. so funny. I was, tr- I would, um, uh, a couple weeks ago, I... Uh, watched Benedetta on a Friday night and then that following Saturday morning I had to host a kid's birthday party and I was telling my coworkers all about Benedetta whenever <laughs> the kids weren't around and I'm like I feel so terrible I'm like serving children popcorn and all I want to talk about is Paul Verhoeven's lesbian nun movie <laughs> <laughs> that movie was not enough lesbian and way too much martyrdom I, I loved that movie oh, see that's but... <laughs> interesting to me I feel like that makes me more interested in it because there was a part of, course of me that, it fucking does. There's a part of me that's like, uh, like, yeah, like I just kind of felt like I knew what it was. But I've heard from a lot of people. They're like, this is a lot more like weirdly religious than I was expecting. I'm like, oh, oh it's well, very that. religious. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because I was expecting just like, you know, Paul Verhoeven shiving like, you know, the concept of Christianity, you know, but instead it sounds like I like it when a, a person interrogates faith rather than just tries to like, I don't know, be smarter than it. Adam McKay. That wasn't me coughing for effect. That was actually me clearing my throat. Adam McKay fucking sucks. Um, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No, I think just real quick, I think Paul Verhoeven's still being a little stinker with that movie, but it is also a genuine like uh, self. uh, He's he is internally wrestling with his Catholicism in a way that feels really personal. And I'm kind of shocked that more people aren't saying it's great. I feel like a lot of people are saying it's kind of sleepy or like lower tier Verhoeven. And I'm like, I don't know, guys, like it might not be like up to L, but like I, I think it's pretty fucking great. <laughs> Look, know. the man peaked with Starship Troopers. We just have to accept that. <laughs> we should be happy with whatever we get from there on. I'm not even sure if I'm joking or not. Starship Troopers is great. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's fun. Uh, other movies that are awesome can be seen on Mubi, which is our sponsor for today. <laughs> Uh, the streaming service that showcases exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, movie premieres a brand new film, whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece. It's guaranteed to either be a movie you've been dying to see, or one you've never heard of before, and there will always be something new to discover. With movie, each film is hand-selected by their absolutely fantastic curators, so you'll never spend more time looking for something great to watch, and instead, you'll actually be watching something great. It's like your own personal film festival streaming anytime, anywhere. And what have we got on movie for y'all this week i wanted to bring up the uh seminal classic i'm gonna say this wrong pierrot le fou anyone oh, my favorite anyone dog me on that okay no that that's my favorite Godard. that's a great movie i think that's how you pronounce it pure I, I don't know the fr- I, I like to think i'm a man with no hatred in my heart but if this podcast has proven anything to me, it's that I hate the way the French pronounce their own language. Oh, um, I once exploded at Bill because he tried to convince me that the race that Le takes Mans. place in Ford v. Ferrari is Le Mans, not Le Mans. And uh, I screamed that you can't have a word and then choose not to pronounce half of it. 
Oh, maybe you won't like Benedetta then. Well, that's <laughs> it's a, it's a very French movie. That sucks. Yeah, man, it's it's really French, and there's not enough lesbianism. That's weird to me. Yeah, it was very like ecclesiastical. That's weird because the the poster that I feel like got released four years ago was really just a a, a nun's habit and a nipple. Yep. Yeah, that comes into play. Well, okay. like not that image exactly, but y- you'll see them. But nipples and nuns habits are in this movie. Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. It's a it's a quite an orb movie. Yeah, that's going to be a great orb report. When are we talking about that one? It's like in February, right? It's in two weeks. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think it's in like limited release because I think I think a friend of mine saw it yesterday in like um, some like the one theater might be playing it in Boston where I am. Oh, no, I'm thinking of come on, come on, because I got that DVD and I was like, oh, great. I'll be able to talk about this. And then I realized we were talking about it like next year. We could talk about it next week instead. No, I don't know. We'll see. It's this is a weird year. It's always a weird time. We'll see what happens. If I'm able to go out and see West Side Story, I'm interested in uh, what my own opinion of that movie will be. So we'll see. But anyway, Pierrot Le Fou, uh, cinema, love, politics, art, war. Godard's obsessions explode in a supernova of color and emotion in this possibly his funniest and most tragic film. This new wave pinnacle starring Jean-Paul Belmondo and Anna Karenina. Nope. I always I always do that. Anna Karina. <laughs> not starring the tragic titular character of leo tolstoy's famous novel uh famously inspired a 15 year old chantal ackerman to become a filmmaker and so that is on mubi right now all you got to do is go to mubi.com slash film stage and you can get a free 30-day trial so you can check it out that's mubi.com slash film stage Okay, we have had quite a few tangents already. We've been talking for almost 20 minutes, and that excludes the 20 minutes of pre-roll chatter. I feel like I don't have to ask this, but I'm going to anyway. Does anyone have anything they would like to talk about before we get into our feature review? I think we're good. Cool. If Robin, the queen of tangents... Rude. (laughs) It's not rude. You're happy. You're excited about that. (laughs) Don't deny it. I know who I am. <laughs> All right. Well, in that case, we can talk about The Power of the Dog, the newest film uh, from writer director Jane Campion. This movie stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Jesse Plemons, Kirsten Dunst, and Cody Smith McPhee. And uh, I am going to read the IMDb synopsis, one of my favorite parts of these, uh, these episodes. Ahem. <clears throat> Charismatic rancher Phil Burbank inspires fear and awe in those around him. When his brother brings home a new wife and her son, Phil torments them until he finds himself exposed to the possibility of love. That is an extremely misleading. (laughs) That's why I love reading these fucking synopses. They are the worst. They are so bad. But it does keep me uh, from having to write ones of my own. So I do it. I do it. Anyway, here is the trailer. Twenty-five years since our first run together. Nineteen hundred and nothing. It's a long time. What you doing? Getting mixed up with her. You are marvelous, Rose. 
We were married Sunday. All right, that is the opening of the trailer for The Power of the Dog. I'm putting a lot of emphasis on that definite article because I keep forgetting it exists because that is my curse. But anyway, we are here to talk about it. As I said, it is happening now on Netflix. We begin, as always, with our guest, Charlie Nash. What are your thoughts on The Power of the Dog? Uh, I love this movie. Um... I went in thinking I and hoping that I would love it because I'm a huge fan of Jane Campion's work. Um, there's a few of hers I haven't seen. I haven't seen Portrait of a Lady. I haven't seen Holy Smoke. But everything I have from In the Cut to The Piano, Angel at My Table, Sweetie, I think it, she's just a remarkable filmmaker. And I think it's really fascinating that she took... It, you know, she took a 12 year hiatus from narrative films. And we know she did the two seasons of Top of the Lake, but this is her first feature film in 12 years since Bright Star. And I think it's fascinating in the ways that she um, now I, this is her first film that I'd say is primarily centered on a male protagonist. And it like all of her films, it delves into, you know, gender, gender roles, uh, repression, sexuality in ways that I think are really subversive. And like all of her films, I found this film to be um, exhilaratingly slippery in that you think you have a handle on where it's going. And then, you know, rounds the one hour mark, there are a few subtle shifts that kind of take your breath away. And um, I, I don't want to talk too much about, about it before that reason until we get into spoilers because it's hard to talk about what this movie's about and what uh without yeah. really getting into where it ends up but I will also say I have never been a big fan of Benedict Cumberbatch I did not watch Sherlock I've been told he's great on it um every film I've seen of him in I'm kind of like what, what's this guy doing here like August Osage County I was just like what what the hell is he doing here <laughs> like imitation <laughs> game I wasn't imp- uh, impressed I think he's pretty fucking incredible in this movie um i i love kirsten dunst always have think she's amazing jesse plemons is great cody smith mcphee's another actor who i've never disliked him but i've i've never really he never really made an impression on me and he's he's got a kind of a blank presence that i think is brilliantly weaponized in this movie and i think he's terrific um and i i think it's um i, I know this is a weird film to bring up because it but um, it kind of reminded me of the age of innocence and how this is, in my opinion, one of the most violent films of the year, but it's Mm. all psychological violence and cruelty. And it's a Western where no one even has a gun. Like I, and, and and yet the, the tension is so palpable throughout this film and what it's trying to say about, uh, these characters and uh, their repressed feelings that basically implode at a certain point. And I think that, uh, yeah, Jane Campion takes, you know, what is, you know, what has been advertised as kind of a nostalgic Western and kind of uh, tur- like in the cut did with, um, you know, turning misogynistic elements of erotic thrillers on their head. I think what she does here in examining, you know, the nostalgia we have for like old Westerns and um, that mythos. uh, I think she kind of brilliantly um, subverts these tropes and makes it into a really powerful commentary on masculinity of all things and how, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that Benedict Cumberbatch's character is so 
especially in the beginning, is such a monster and so hateful. And by the end, I felt I, I truly felt for him in ways that we'll get into, I'm sure. But totally. I don't want to spoil too much. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I watched this movie. I saw this movie with Robin, actually, at a <laughs> press screening. And um, I spent so much of the movie just trying to figure out where it was going, what characters' motivations were, what ulterior motives were, and then was completely wowed by the end. And then I watched it a second time to prep for this episode. And I was able to, once I knew where this movie was headed, I was able to pick up on all the subtle nuances that I missed the first time around. And I felt the sadness even more. Um, and I felt for every character even more now that once I saw what Jane Campion was doing. So I think it's one of the best films of the year. All right. Bill Graham. So I was struggling to get on this film's wavelength for the first, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 minutes uh, because Benedict Cumberbatch's character is just dog shit and I hated him so much from from the get-go. Uh, he treats everybody like ass. He calls his brother Fatso. Um, it's just a really grating person. But as the film kind of goes along, um, I really found a lot of interesting things I- I- inside of it. Um, it does have some interesting things to, to say about masculinity and especially back then about repression and things of that nature um but yeah overall i think this is a film that rewards a patient viewer that is willing to stick with a uh just a flat out uh bad hang uh in terms of character and you know that's a that's a shitty way to make a recommendation for a film because honestly, like within the first 30 minutes, I was, I was pretty prepared to not like turn it off and go find something else to watch and then maybe come back. Um, so, you know, uh, hopefully you don't do the typical Netflix thing where you're just like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to watch something else. Uh, because like <laughs> I said, I think, I think, uh, this one definitely rewards you sticking with it. Um, now the rewards maybe are not worth the time invested, but still I feel like, uh, the film does kind of turn a corner in a lot of ways. Um, not the least of which is not necessarily his character turning the corner, but uh, he does allow some nuance and some wrinkles into his character portrayal that I wasn't quite expecting. So, yeah, overall, I uh, I enjoyed it, but man, that beginning is rough. All right, Robin Barr. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I I think this is probably my favorite film of the year. Um, I I love the delicacy with which. Campion kind of creates this tapestry. Um, this the story here is really incredible, and I and it is based on a on a novel, um, and it feels very novelistic. Which and I always really enjoy movies like that. Um, I agree that it it takes its time to build up. It it's brutal at the beginning because, you know, spending a lot of time with, uh. Uh, toxically masculine abusive emotionally abusive and verbally abusive character is is never fun um but but campion really wields tension 
so masterfully in this in this movie and you're I shouldn't speak for everybody but I know my feelings toward the protagonist toward uh Benedict Cumberbatch do change throughout the film I just kept thinking like what's gonna happen what's gonna happen like what am I what mystery is unfolding here and I think it works out very well and it works out in a way that's quite devastating I think uh unexpectedly devastating but yeah I'm I'm always really interested in Westerns, but it's, I wouldn't call it my favorite genre. It certainly does not, it does not repeat a lot of tropes of Westerns. And I think that's where I sort of struggle with Westerns sometimes is that there's, um, you know, there's, there's just a certain type of story construction that you're used to. And and what, what I found about interesting about this movie, and I don't know if this counts as a spoiler, but these men the two brothers played by Jesse Plemons and Benedict Cumberbatch are not your typical um, made by the West kind of guys. I don't know if this counts as a spoiler, but they're not, they're wealthy East coasters that. Yeah. I was about to say they're a trained. bunch of like <laughs> former dandies. One of them still kind of a dandy. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing is uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. He, he embodies this really really masculinist type but he was trained to be a masculinist type and he's actually an intellectual at heart and is very right. intimidating he to went to people. college and was in a fraternity exactly and someone and hilariously he went to Yale. <laughs> someone hilariously asks if he curses at the cattle in greek right right and i just <laughs> thought those details are really fascinating to me and and it's kind of in some ways this movie is the battle a battle of wills between two intellectuals um, but that's almost too reductive at the same time. It, you don't even know it's a battle until the end in a way. <laughs> so I, I think I will stop there. But I I just genuinely, it just moved me. I thought the cinematography was gorgeous. It It felt so, everything felt so deliberate. I felt like every scene, every look, every string in in the in the score, uh, every piece of dust that I saw flying in the air felt very deliberate. And I can see that being boring for some people, you know, maybe, maybe it was boring if I had been watching it at home, but because I'd seen it in the theater, it, I found it extremely enthralling. Um, so I, I just loved this movie. It blew me away. Well, as someone who watched this at home, <laughs> this movie was very difficult to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I didn't I didn't enjoy this movie. I was going to say even a little bit. I did end up actually uh you know, we were talking about the awards earlier. I ended up nominating it for cinematography and score. Mm. So it's got that going for it. Um Definitely. Greenwood, right? Yeah. Yes. Johnny Greenwood. Mm-hmm. Good times. He's uh he's still like, you know, slapping those those strings uh while the camera looks out over desolate wastelands. Um but I'm by God, it, it works. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. This movie. Fuck. I re- Okay. I wanted Benedict Cumberbatch to win in this movie because every fucking character in this thing was so dour and annoying that I, I just liked the fact that he seemed to want things. I liked the fact that he mm. had any kind of agency. Um and I just inherently was like, God, he seemed like he would be so happy just with like the 20 nameless cowboys who are all very competent at their job and like 
why don't we just hang out with those guys? Because they're the only ones who are laughing and having fun. And everyone else sucks so hard. Jesse Plemons, if he plays one more uh, fucking beta male sad sack sad sack doormat piece of shit i'm fucking tired of seeing him in movies now he was he was like so good as a cold quiet weirdly deferential sociopath in breaking bad and since then it's like he's karmically trying to make up for it by just playing these milk toast doughy shitty people um to the point was, where I rewatched The Irishman recently and I almost was annoyed with him just because he wouldn't fucking tell them what kind of fish it was. And I was like, how does this guy not realize that he's about to let his dad get murdered? But anyway, I I didn't like him in this movie. Kirsten Dunst, what a thankless role. Like, oh, wow, I feel terrible for her having to be this person in this movie. And I just was like watching the whole time. And I, I paused it at a certain point to go cut myself up an apple because I wanted a snack. And I just need to cut myself. Yeah, no, the movie wasn't that depressing. That's a real Manchester by the sea type of thing to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um what was I gonna say before I made that horrible joke? Um <laughs> right, I went to go cut up an apple because I was I wanted a snack, and a friend was like, Hey, how's the movie you're watching going? And I was like, I'm not enjoying it. And I don't know what the plot is, and I don't care about any of the characters. And she asked why I was watching it, and I said I am duty bound. And I went back and I watched it, and I ate my apple. And the apple was very good, and the movie was over, and it still wasn't good. And um, I am looking forward to talking about it because I, you know, clearly a lot of people really like it, and I don't get it. Um, but I'm I'm excited to see what other people have gotten from it, and I feel like there are things that happen in this movie that in a vacuum could make for good conversation if they were just like a thought experiment written down on a card and handed out at a party where no one knew one another as a way of breaking the ice. Um, So I'm looking forward to that aspect of it. But in general... How does your brain work? Not a fan. What do you mean, (laughs) how does my brain work? Ay-ay-ay. What do you mean, ay-ay-ay? Not ay-ay-ay. (laughs) Oy-oy-oy. Different sentiment altogether. Yes, one of them is is Jewish and one of them is Hispanic. Sure. I don't know. What does oi 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 mean? I've never heard of oi oi oi. Oi oi oi, like like oi oi oi. Oh jeez. Oi vey. Yes, it's a okay. take on that. Gotcha. All right. Oh my god, am I like you're from New York? You should know these things. Yeah, I. It's, I'd never heard oi oi oi. I've, I've, anyway, it doesn't matter. Maybe if I could see the hands moving, I'd understand it. <laughs> um, but anyway. What yeah. are you, a stupid old? <laughs> <laughs> How does Bill have so many catchphrases? <laughs> he just takes them from other movies. That's definitely Luca, which I nominated for um, best animated feature. And if it doesn't best win, picture, I'm going actor. to kill myself. I, best screenplay. I did nominate uh, Tremblay and the two other children leads of that movie for best voice actor. Yes. I, I you had a voice actor character. Oh, yeah. Wafka That's has awesome. a voice actor category, which I always yeah. like because I there are, you know, and I also uh, nominated Ralph Ennis. For uh, Green Knight. Mm. Yeah, yeah mm. I, I actually kind of love that we have a voice actor category. We also have best mocap performance uh, category, nice. which I like. Wow. That's um, impressive. Cumberbatch. 
No, at, <laughs> for what? <laughs> Schmaug. <laughs> Bill, that was like 17 years ago. Schmaug. Um, but it, actually, that was funny. This year, uh, there were not enough nominations to warrant an inclusion. So I don't know if like wah, wah, wah. there were not any mocap things that happened this year or if we just, I don't know. The I, Sandworm I, in Dune? I don't know. Did anyone play that? <laughs> well, Jared Leto. That was Jared Leto. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like how Bill and I went for the same joke. I kind of love that because I just picture him in the desert not knowing that COVID was happening. Just being completely <laughs> like literally underground. And up his own anus. I want now. I want a um. What's that? What's that? His arrakis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> what's that song? Do they know it's Christmas? I want that, but about sandworms. <laughs> Do they know it's COVID? <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So not a fan of this movie. Looking forward to talking about it. Um. I do. I do like the what? Oh crap! I was gonna make a joke about his name, but now I can't remember his name. It's Bronco Henry. Bronco. Yeah. No, it's not Bron- it's not Bronco Bill. It's Bronco Henry. Like It's they, Bronco Henry. They say yeah, the full name. Bronco. No, you Bronco. Bronco. Okay. It's Bron- I, I just said wanted Bronco. to make sure. No, you said Bronco. It was very weird. We're going to play this tape back. <laughs> okay. Not right now. The uh, daddies are fighting. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Bronco Henry. I almost called him Bronco Charlie. But I just love that there's a character in this movie whose name is Bronco Henry, and people only re- refer to him as Bronco Henry. And there's a little plaque that says Bronco <laughs> Henry. And I'm just like, that motherfucker took a nickname and ran it to the goddamn ground, literally, because he's buried in the ground and the name is there. Oh, you don't, you think that's a nickname? Uh, you think that yes. Mr. and Mrs. <laughs> Henry had a child and named it Bronco? I mean, I've heard weirder <laughs> names for sure. I know. All right, that's true. There's a guy named Colt. There's a Colt McCoy, but I 100% believe. <laughs> yeah, Colt McCoy is definitely a fucking a yeah, wild that. ass name. And he played quarterback for Texas long. I know. Which is also it's incredible. Just like. It's it's just chef's kiss. It's just like really this right. this is a fucking thing that's happening. Right well, now. so as I was going to say, if Mister and Mrs. Henry had a child and named it Bronco, I you, he would have to become a cowboy, much as Colt McCoy, upon learning his own name, said, "I must become quarterback for UT." <laughs> Sometimes you and have to. This guy's name was definitely like Henry Sinclair or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bronco Henry's his cowboy name. It's not. I don't think they named him Bronco. They probably named him Henry. He was yeah. Henri de Marseille, but he changed it to Bronco Henry. <laughs> it's, it's pronounced Lamar. <laughs> Gonna fucking destroy. You. <laughs> oh God. Anyway, um, Cody Smith McPhee. He just keeps getting longer, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's gonna be on the NBA at some point. <laughs> There's some like Marfan syndrome or something there. <laughs> he's a long man. When will he was in Let Me In, but he was not the vampire. When will he be allowed to play like Vlad Dracul or Nosferatu? I feel like he's that's more of a familiar's body though. Oh yeah, really? Um, no, I think, yeah, I he think needs, he's he needs to got, be on uh, what what we do in the shadows as a familiar. No, he's yeah. got classic Nosferatu like tubercular, <laughs> like kind of reedy vampire vibe going. You, on. you know, you know who he needs to play. He needs to play a young Greg the Egg. That's him. I could see that. Wait a second. Or Are his little telling, brother. They've got to be the same age, right? 
<laughs> no, no. Is, no, he's like 25 or something. Isn't How it? old yeah. is 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 whatever? I don't even know the actor. Greg is Agari. Nicholas Brattel, I think, is his name. No, that not Brattel. That's the that's the composer. Nicholas sorry. Braun. There you go. Yeah. He's, okay. Smith yeah. McPhee was born in '96. Okay. Yeah. Nicholas Braun was 25. born in '85. 25. Yeah. 25. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Fair enough. I was. Wrong. I mean, I think it was really good casting to put him with Benedict Cumberbatch. He's like the twink version of Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, correct. In this Which is yes. crazy because Benedict Cumberbatch is already a twink. No, yeah, not in not. this. Style. Not in this. No, in this they dirty him up. No, not are twinky. you kidding me? He's got. Re- I mean, is Sherlock Holmes? You don't think? I think he's not twinky to me. Uh, he's definitely moved out of his twink phase if he had one. <laughs> I just feel like as far as long sure twink mace. I just oh. I just knocked my fucking <laughs> headphones off because I'm gesticulating so wildly. As far as like ay ay ay. Ay ay ay. Um what was I going to say? I don't know. I was going to say like long pale reedy again tubercular looking people like you know they're they're definitely of a pair. Unlike Jesse Plemons, who is is perfectly fine, you know, aging into uh, doughy Matt Damon. I like cream puff guys too. There's there's a lot of love to be had for every body type. Yeah, I completely agree, and I also disagree with everything you said about Jesse Plemons because I do <laughs> oh, think shit, he, I do think that he is a character who absolutely does not know what he wants in the beginning, but then is the first character to know what he wants and yeah. sets out and gets it what and is then it? i well he's he, he wants more... companionship yeah he's looking you know he didn't even know he wanted love until he got it and there's that beautiful moment on the mountainside where he says it just feels mm. so great not to be alone and what's sad is that the benedict cumberbatch character is losing his connection with him and hates and despises kirsten dunst for it and for no reason other than you know she represents femininity in all the ways that he despises and well, not just femininity, but he loses his companion. Yes, yes, exactly. Because of her. And, she and I interfered. And and I like that, not to spoil too much, but when it comes down to Benedict Cumberbatch terrorizing Kirsten Dunst for most of this movie, he totally stands up for her and stands up to Benedict Cumberbatch. Maybe not in the way that is conventionally satisfying for or most like people. Or like effective I, or meaningful. Yeah, there was only real one way that that was there was one effective thing that happens in this movie. Yeah, I mean <laughs> the can, other thing is we can talk about it more in spoilers. Phil mm-hmm. and George, their relationship is like already on the rocks. Like it's not yeah. like they start off like here I'm a best friend, brother. Can't believe we get to live together and sleep in adjoining no, twin like, beds like serial fuck killers. You, that's so right. <laughs> like, George wakes up and is like, yeah, uh, uh, and Phil's like, hey, like. It appears as though the, uh, you know, primary split between our two characters that might have been fun and interesting to watch has already happened. No, but and I think George that's all is part just of like, the, <laughs> but that's the whole point of the movie is I think that Benedict Cumberbatch is totally locked into this nostalgia for this lifestyle, this ranching lifestyle that even though the film is taking place in 1925 in Montana, it doesn't exist anymore. And yeah, and, well, yeah clearly, you know, Pl- Plemons has no interest in that and knows that his brother's living in the but past and he... grasping onto these toxic ideals of what it means to be a man. And he's just not interested in that. But did, but did George ever like one of my problems is that this movie begins and I was shocked to learn that he did not already know Rose. Like the, the way that they were going together, George and Phil, I assumed that George was like, 
uh, I'm like really not uh, into talking to my brother right now because I know I'm about to go ask this woman to marry me. Because like I this, think he was the, attracted to her before. Yeah, so they, you think that they had indeed met, and that he was maybe in passing, in passing because Philip had a connection to his to her husband who died. Like basically, Kristen Dunst plays a widow, and she's just trying to make ends meet. And has this, uh, like a restaurant slash motel or whatever, like a B and B type thing. <laughs> yes, and it's a B and B. I don't know what it is. The but cowboys like wake up and, and they get a muffin, and there's a well they can sit by. <laughs> Something like that, and then she's trying to like make her life go forward after being widowed by her suicidal or by the suicide of her husband, who was a doctor. And Cumberbatch had some. Or Philip had some connection with the doctor. He Did the guy he? was like, I, I think so. I don't remember the details. Did anyone else pick up on that? I would like confirmation of that. Um, that might have slipped past me, but I do think what's interesting, I guess, to get back on this is ultimately everything that's happening is a result of Benedict Cumberbatch's actions. Like if he didn't treat Rose and Peter like shit, then you know uh Plemons wouldn't have gone in to comfort her and they wouldn't have had right. this connection he's literally the source of all of his problems that he creates and it's like and it all comes back to bite him in the ass in the end and he's too repressed we'll get into that he's too repressed and too in love with this very you know uh toxic uh, these very toxic ideals of what makes you a man. I mean, he's he's also completely berating Jesse Plemons by yeah, as we mentioned, calling him fatso, bringing up that you know that uh, that uh, Cumberbatch himself went to Yale and did all this stuff, and yeah, now he's like, as we mentioned, they're wealthy East Coast people who he's just in love with this lifestyle. But what what is it about this lifestyle? It's all superficial. It's all you know, and it's a dead. It, it's a total dead philosophy at this point, and pretty much every character kind of gets that and except for again the 20 nameless cowboys who seem to be having the time of their life yeah because they suck <laughs> Do they they're suck? being paid to be there <laughs> yeah they're getting money it's a job yeah, it's a job like what is wh- I, mean, I guess let's not pretend ranching it doesn't still exist right but- it doesn't it, not not that but the i the 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 ways in which what makes you know cumberbatch yes. is constantly talking about you know real men back in those days and what makes a man a man and is all about the 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 ways he was in uh certain ways raised and groomed by bronco henry who when you comes down to it probably did some pretty horrible things to cumberbatch even though he also gave him a connection that he secretly wanted uh which we can't get into but like i think well why not let's just go we can just jump into spoilers right now let's just say what happened okay um, I think he was literally groomed. I mean, yeah, this yeah, was, he was his abuser. He got brought <laughs> yeah, up and buggered exactly. by Franco Henry. Yeah. And it because of that trauma, it becomes cyclical and it, you know, impacts everyone in his orbit. And he's pissed off and not understanding that his trauma while by 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 repressing all of these feelings and also let's let's just get this out of the way. Benedict Cumberbatch is queer as fuck in this movie, and he's mm-hmm. also obsessed with being you know, a man's man, whatever that, you mm-hmm. know, means to you. So the fact that he, you know, was groomed and is now, you know, refusing to accept 
what the, you know, that what happened to him and what society deems to be taboo and like unacceptable. He's, he succeeds in every single aspect of his life, except when it comes to dealing with his sexuality, which is ultimately what leads to his downfall because he can't cope with it in healthy ways. And now I have a, I have a question. Um, are we sure that, I guess the, uh, the issue that I have in a, in a story like this is like, I don't know what the full sweep of his relationship with Bronco Henry was. And I don't know, like I, it, it almost feels strange to let his traumatic psychological reaction to uh, what, what possibly could be or could have been a coercive non-consensual at first situation be turned into like a sexuality. Does that make sense? Yeah, but yeah. I mean, like, I don't, seen- I don't think that's what you're saying, Charlie. I think you're saying that Bronco Henry probably targeted this kid because yes. he was probably already he probably already sensed that he was queer. So yes. he targeted Philip and then groomed him because he was, you know, already vulnerable. Yeah, much like how Benedict Cumberbatch targets, you know, yes. Cody Smith McPhee for his more feminine uh mannerisms and behaviors and i mean it it, it's a weird movie to bring up it's nothing like this in terms of its aesthetics but i kept thinking about mysterious skin which is a movie by Mm -hmm. gregor rocky in which you know he was uh joseph gordon levitt's character as a eight-year-old is uh is sexually assaulted by his baseball coach but he's also queer and he the whole movie is him realizing that what happened to him was rape but it doesn't um, but he confuses it with love. And I think that's what's going on with, um, you know, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's character. But I think the other thing that gives this movie its power is all the ambiguity in there yeah. without giving us any easy answers. It's it's so psychological. And I think that makes it more effective when well, and more tragic I, in the end. Actually. I think I think part of it is also the order with which we get information, because we see yes. a very, very sexual situation where Benedict Cumberbatch takes this, which I don't know why they have this around, but Bronco Henry's like saddle right is just hanging out in the barn and he has this very sexual uh, scene where he's like oiling it down and like rubbing it in a very very suggestive and sexual manner and that's long before we understand that bronco henry took him up into the mountain and then laid with him right like that that is information we get much later um and so like it seems very obvious at first that oh oh they had a relationship you know, and I think as soon as he later. said the name Bronco Henry, I was like, oh, this was his. <laughs> yeah. No. yeah, yeah, again, and- because it's it's just a very it's just it's a very evocative flamboyant name. name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but also thing- the nostalgia with which he speaks of him. I'm like, hmm. oh, yeah, almost immediately. And I, again, I don't know if it was just because of the way people had been talking about this movie. Like before I even read like the first synopsis of it, Robin said something about it being like an anti call me by your name. <laughs> and so I was like, well, someone's gay. And, you know, I guess I just cued in on Benedict Cumberbatch that way. The the other thing that struck me as really haunting this time around is we don't know because Plemons, whenever um, whenever Phil mentions, whenever Cumberbatch mentions Brocco Henry, Plem, um, 
Clemens immediately like clams up. Yeah. Like he immediately yes. clams up. And I can't tell if it's because he knows what happened. He just doesn't like the lifestyle that Bronco Henry was leading and how it affected him negatively. If something similar happened to Clemens, there's so much going on left on set right. that I think gives the movie its power. If well, it for was all we like, know, you know, Bronco Henry might have approached Plemons's yes. character first and been rebuffed or like not gotten the signals he needed to move forward. I mean, like, and you know, I, it, we're, I guess we have to talk about it. Like it's, um, some sort of bad situation because that's kind of what we're led to believe by the movie. But it also seems like they might, they were like college age when they started doing this. Right. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like I much like Cody Smith McPhee, right? Yeah. yeah, and then there was a part of me was like, right, right. Back then, did kids go to college when they were like fourteen? Because everything they happened were really young. I I think college was more of like sixteen to eight, twenty, anywhere in that range. Right. So like, I couldn't figure out like you know, are we dealing with young men figuring stuff out, or are we dealing with children who shouldn't be figuring anything out yet? Um, but yeah, it's remember it's, the concept of children was very different a hundred years ago. Oh yeah. 100%. I mean like, you know, the second you could pick up a plow, you're in the fields and you're a part of the family and you know, or the second you had your period, you were of birthing age. Yeah. Oh, she's marriageable. But, um, I can't even remember what I was going to say. Oh, it was something about Bronco Henry, like approaching them and trying to figure out like, because, and again, you know, not to slander the dead, but I'm just going to talk about Bronco Henry. Like he's a child molester. Um, that's what they do. They know how to test limits to weed out the children who they know are going to rat on them. Oh, God, that makes my stomach sick. Yeah, it's uh, it's fucking terrible, Robin. <laughs> it's really bad. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it is possible that that's why George is clams up about it because he, you know, looked after himself, but maybe didn't look after Benedict Cumberbatch. It or maybe felt that Benedict Cumberbatch didn't actually look after him. I, I I think that the fact that it's all left unsaid gives it all the more power, though. I think if there was a big scene where he literally didactically explains everything that went on and or what he knows, it wouldn't be nearly as powerful because it's all it's so much more like this movie doesn't black and white. Every every human being in this movie is so complex and feels real to me. I'm how. inclined to a agree with you except for the fact that they're supposed to be brothers and they uh, they honestly read as complete and utter fucking strangers all the time which again i know could be like a statement on how far apart they've grown or something but at the same time it's just like it's very hard for me to care about anything when after watching an entire movie these people still feel like strangers to me i mean Jesse Plemons, I forget his name. <laughs> I love. Wait, I just the the your I know, delivery. I keep referring to him as Plemons as well. <laughs> your your Robin, your delivery of the uh, was incredible, and it cut me to my soul. And I'm looking forward to hearing <laughs> what you have to say. It's not about you, but I just keep thinking like Jesse Plemons is being abused. Georgie by, boy, yeah, George. George, yep. Philip no, Jesse Plemons. George's, yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> is Jesse Plemons's abuser in this movie, and it's. And the abuse is not just verbal, where it's just like, you uh, ugly, fat, loser, idiot. He's also extremely dependent on his brother. I I don't know if it's a codependent relationship, because I think that Jesse Plemons' character... um, George? Philip 
is George really Kim. dependent on George. But the thing, like, I, okay, so. Emotionally, they share a room. Right. He's they, a yeah. Buddy. It's, it's bananas. He's the when, only one who gets it. He was, they were raised in the same household. You know, he's the only other person who has memories of, of Bronco Henry, who I think hmm. Benedict Cumberbatch truly loved. You know, whether, mm-hmm. whether for those is, four um, years they pleasure had pleasure and pain. Right. Like, I know the pleasure and pain for him are crosswired. It's like a, it's a very common trauma response. So I don't even want to get into the like, he was traumatized and confused his love for sex. Like, whatever it is, he has very complex um, and warm feelings for Bronco Henry. The only other person who shares his memory of this person is George. And he's very emotionally dependent on him. Remember when he couldn't find him that first night that they were having that celebration and he just goes to like, find him and ends up curling up in a bed, like a little boy with a teddy bear. I mean, Mm -hmm, he is very dependent on George. So when George is like, I just married a lady (laughs) who is (laughs) below our class. And she has a son who is uh, threatening to you because he is outwardly feminine. Like, Philip's going to lose it. He is, he goes, he doubles down on the abusive behavior as a lashing out tactic. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. Kirsten Dunst then has the target on her back because technically, oh, she stole my brother from me. And like, I think it's just, he loves his brother like a brother, but it is like, he's dependent <laughs> on, it's not like, it's not like going in that direction, but like, it is like he, I, he, he has, he bonds with men and doesn't bond with women because I think that. Well, there's only the one woman around, so. Well, no, that's <laughs> not true. There's a few. There's the woman who lives in the house, and there's um Thomas McKenzie's character. There's a few. Lola. Crazy yes. ass. Like, when was this movie made? That I know. Thomas was it like Mc- a cameo? Right. Like, <laughs> was this movie made six years ago and only released now? Like, Thomas and McKenzie shows up. I'm like, oh, wow, co-lead Thomas and McKenzie is going to come in and do something. And then nothing fucking and then she's like daisy from downton abbey no 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 no. she she does she does quite a bit she she calls the uh the game right yeah oh yes that's right bill she is the she is the referee this is yeah she pisses off rose or no actually it's it's uh it's the kid it's it's peter that she pisses off peter's like yes i can count thank you and she's like well you're losing really badly (laughs) she's Um, the only okay i i should i now have to amend a statement because i said that the nameless cowboys were the only people who seem to be having any fun in this world but actually lola seems like she like doesn't give a shit about anyone She's like, whatever, I have a job. No, she liked the rabbit. <laughs> but yeah. like, yeah, she, that, that was up. the thing. I thought like that, you know, oh, he killed a rabbit and now she's going to be like really messed up. But nope, like literally the next scene, she's on top of that deck chair, just calling the game like nothing happened. Yeah. Really weird. Okay. I, I mean, but, but isn't that kind of how you de- deal with stuff as a kid? Even if you see something horrific, is she, like, she a might... kid. This is the question. Yeah. It's I mean, very it's difficult a, it's a, to parse ages Smith? in this movie. Yeah. Is I mean, Cody uh, a kid? I have no idea. He's as tall like as a 60 year old man if people continued <laughs> to age linearly. He's as tall as a Dutchman. <laughs> he is. He should be the Undertaker. That's what he looks like. He looks like he should be an Undertaker. Um, I I know you said that Kirsten Dunst has a thankless role, and I I heavily disagree because I think that what's interesting about what is going on in this movie is that she is she has the ability to be to 
be sexually uh like and romantically not just sexually but also romantically and intimate with men without being judged by society and that and i don't think he so much hates her so much as envies everything she's able to have and now is taking that away and with her brother uh, his brother and i think that Kirsten Dunst also mentioned that I like I, I think what's so fascinating, my roommate saw it and pointed it out to me. Benedict Cumberbatch only says like one line to her this entire film, which is when she comes home after their little, you know, honeymoon celebration. And she's like, well, brother Phil. And she he says, uh, I wrote it down um, uh, just a sec. Um, I'm not your brother. You're a cheap schemer. And that's really the only thing he says to her. I'm pretty sure he does go up to her and says, you couldn't play like after her failed piano recital, but like mm-hmm. for the governor. He does taunt her. Yeah, but, yeah. but it's almost like directed at everyone else as an announcement to embarrass her. So yeah. Just like not her directly. And apparently Kirsten Dunst said that she and Benedict Cumberbatch like avoided each other on set so she could like get in that character's mindset. And I, I just love the way it's blocked. There's so many shots. It's almost like, it, I feel weird to bring this up, but it's almost like it follows where you're kind of looking for Benedict Cumberbatch within every <laughs> the frame. Mm-hmm. It's and the he, strangers. It, 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 You're looking the negative space around Kirsten Dunst being like, where will he show up this time? I mean, there's a few shot. There is one shot towards the end where she's, you know, drunken, like crying after she gets the gloves. And I thought that Benedict Cumberbatch was behind her. It turned out to just be another ranch hand. And I was just like, oh, thank God. Um, but uh, yeah, like and, and just that, you know, the, I mentioned how like that that scene where she's, you know, gets the piano, which I think is also very interesting considering, you know, the piano, uh, yeah. which is it's a total opposite type of relationship that this one has with the piano compared to everything Holly Hunter has in the piano. And I really don't think Jesse Plemons is trying to be malicious in any way. He just doesn't but, but know how he's, to. He's he's, he's really toxically room, supportive. Though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Toxic reading. positivity. <laughs> yeah, like he's Ted Lasso. He's not reading Rose. Like, no, he's not. Like Rose, Rose is like no, I, I like you know. I'm I'm not that good, and, and I just don't feel very. And he's like, no, no, no. You'll you'll be fine. You'll you'll be great. And then like disappears for like a week, and then comes back and is like, hey, the governor's here. You ready? And he, <laughs> poor Rose is like, no, I still suck. Like, what are you, what are we doing here? It's like I've seen I, I love- it's it is that type of thing where it's like, oh, like. Your girlfriend loves photography, and so you buy her an expensive camera and a lot of film, and then say, "By the way, I've I've like entered you into a photography contest with like people from National Geographic." And it's like, I love yeah. that you support me, but you need to support me slower. You need to mm-hmm. do it in a different way. This is fucking terrible for me. You're turning something I love into a way for me to prove that I am worthy of you, and I don't like it. Yeah, yeah, it's play, it's kind of that whole sequence of events is played like a horror movie. I mean, there's that amazing sequence where she's practicing and is mad. <laughs> and Nick Cumberbatch is taunting her with how he can play it better on the banjo. I, I Just from like, hearing what the sounds are supposed to be. Not yeah. from knowing well, look, the anything sounds yes. better on a banjo. I mean, that's just... <laughs> yes, thank you, Robin. Someone had to do it. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> But I do. Like, I keep trying to get my ectomorphic husband to play the banjo because he has the fingers for it. He's got those Cody Smith McPhee fingers. I was wondering, like how Osferatu fingers. How hard you fell in love with Cody Smith McPhee in this movie? 
no, I, I yeah, no, none of them. No, not really. <laughs> no, you don't I want him to like gonna... <laughs> make you paper flowers and speak very softly and murder rabbits. I mean, the murdering rabbits, I'm all for, but the other stuff, no. And and I will say, uh, it's Benedict Cumberbatch. I love Benedict Cumberbatch um, in a lot of things, but the I thought he was very sexy in this role because he's so horny in this role, even though he's you know his character is queer. Uh, it's his role in. Oh my god, what's the movie? Atonement? That's like that's when he imprinted on me. Oh yeah. He, you have to bite it. He's had that like creepy mustache in that movie, and I don't know. Yeah, that's the movie that gets that Benedict Cumberbatch will always have a rapey energy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Perfectly cast in that. Yeah. Yeah. He was really good. So when he's all you know, horny at some point in a very, very beautiful scene. I was just like, oh my God, I can't wait for... Oh, are you talking it. about his like Mata Hari Seven Veils moment? Yes. <laughs> like obviously, <laughs> I know. That, that worked for me because it was just like kind of beautiful. And then I was like, oh, I can't wait for him and Cody Smith McPhee to get together and it's going to be so juicy and delicious. And then Cody Smith McPhee is like, actually, I'm a murder this motherfucker with some anthrax. Yeah, so I thought they were going to connect over murdering animals because there's this one scene where Cody Smith McPhee is like, you know, taking uh, the doing the necropsy on the rabbit that he killed and like, oh, this kid like just loves anatomy. And then there's this other scene where Benedict Cumberbatch is putting his grubby hands in a in a bull's ball sack and pulling out the ball and I was like, oh, they just love anatomy. They're just like <laughs> two guys who who care about, you know, bodies and blood. And this is what like this is what's I can't wait for these them. two to <laughs> vivisect an owl together. <laughs> is this it's going to be so... 34 like deviant art shit that I made up in my mind. I right. don't know. <laughs> Robin has I... a, 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 um, a fucking fanfic on an archive of our own about them. <laughs> fucking t- t- autopsying a cat it would probably be kind of hot <laughs> like like them putting their arms on each other's arms as they're doing it together it's like mm. yeah it's the 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 pottery scene from ghost except that they're yes. cutting open that one live animal and pulling out its gallbladder um netflix, All right, writing this fanfic right now netflix did send us the book for awards consideration and the first mm-hmm. paragraph is a very detailed description of the castration that he, oh. that he yeah it's like insanely graphic too oh my husband wants to read the book now so i'm excited oh i yeah i got oh. the paper rose right yes you got a paper rose yeah, yeah I did. man netflix didn't send me anything this year i wonder if they're mad at me because i keep throwing out their serious? coffee table books Jesus wow Christ, you're, everything. A, you're blacklisted i've my whole guest room is just filled with boxes right now yes same here my yeah, I, I don't the, the good literally, thing i i had a conversation with erica and she was like what are we gonna do with these and i was like <laughs> technically i can't sell them and i'm not sure anybody wants them except you, for Seaver. i was about to um, say you said one to someone on, if you join I, I our said, slack I channel uh, I bill will one. eventually send you something <laughs> no uh what we have figured out what we're gonna do is that my dad has a lake house where he often burns uh Aww. you know 
detritus and stuff like that. And I'm just like, I don't know. This this seems like a good situation. Why don't you just that? give it to no, a little you don't free burn library or books, something? You Philistine. Yeah, just um, put it in your buy nothing group. I've gotten yeah. good feedback yeah. from the that. What? A buy nothing like, group? You don't have a buy nothing group? I have no what. It's basically what? a way for people to hand their trash off to other people, but every once in a while, you gamify good it. Like people will take anything. They took a half-eaten box of moon pies that I had. Yeah, oh, it's well, because delightful. there are some people like in this world pies. who are legitimate hoarders, and I think cannot bear well, that something. I'm not is... trying to support them in that endeavor, Bill. Their cats well, not... need something to claw. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I, join a buy nothing group. They're on Facebook. Yeah, you will be delighted. It's it, it was it was very helpful when the local like goodwills and stuff like that were not accepting donations due to COVID. So so yeah. this was a and, better um, way to connect with the community. I was about to say next door is another thing. Like I gave away a shit ton of my daughter's like baby stuff on next door. And it was so great. This sounds because, like work. No, it doesn't. It it's sounds work. like you it's post something online and then someone says, oh, can I have that? And then you say, yeah, it's on my porch. Go pick it up. Yeah, nobody. Like, we've we've sold so much shit within the last year where we were just basically begging people to come get the shit that they actually paid for and just like, <laughs> wouldn't come and get it. Oh, like, that's weird. This so, like, I was this cleaning is the out. World we live in now. I was cleaning out stuff. People don't have face to face interactions or or purchasings, right? And they're just like, eh, you know, I, I paid money for it, but eh, maybe maybe I'll get it. And I'm like, literally, like, I will pay you the money back to get this thing off my fucking porch because I don't want to deal with it anymore. That's kind of like, nuts. Because I like, I would, I would put, like, I put like a stroller on there. And like a pack and play and like a diaper bag. And people were like instantaneously like, please, yes. Oh, my God. You don't understand. I have a baby coming and I'm very poor. And I was like, you don't have to pay me. Just come and get it. That's that's, that's different than a light fixture. Well, Bill, your shit is terrible. (laughs) But people might want. What's wrong with with a light fixture? Was it a particularly good light fixture? Uh, It's sold on Home Depot, you know. That doesn't it is mean what anything. It is. If it's some Hampton Bay type of thing, then that's, you know, nothing. Yeah. That's like less okay. than Ikea. Jesus Christ. I like Hampton Bay. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Anyways, it, it, Robin Robin is with me. It is work, even if I give it away for free. So it's work. Just, you got to take the photos. You got to remember the people's exactly. names. Oh, my God. If only I had an, if only I had an item in my hands at all times that could take a photograph of something and then also use that same item to post the photograph to the I group. I do it. But or trust I, me. I can light it on fire. I, okay, Bill, that actually is a very good comeback. And I wholeheartedly think that if you want to light anything on fire, you should do it. <laughs> as long as it's legal, it hurts my soul to burn a book. Yeah, I just feel like the Nazi it's, imagery is not would be a knowledge. Oh, oh, yeah. uh, Robin, for sure, the actual book that they gave me, I will give that away. I'll probably go stuff it. No, I know what you mean. The, the art books, where I'm just books. like, who the yeah. fuck yeah. needs a Midnight Sky book? Oh, God. Exactly. Remember Midnight Sky when we all got like a no, 400 pound book and it was yes. just like, I don't even Couldn't know what I have, movie I have is. five more of those. I have five more of those. How? Oh my God. Thank you. Why? Why did you get five? Yeah. No, no, not of that one, oh, okay. but from Netflix. Yeah, I was like, yeah. what? 
No, they just no, kept God, sending no. them. But to yeah, me. yeah, I would unsubscribe from that immediately. <laughs> they said like, they wouldn't you, stop you gotta... unless I nominated it for best adapted screenplay. <laughs> now it just keeps me warm at night. Yeah, can you like anyway? You're, you're gonna have a child yeah, at some sorry, point, can't you? Uh, use Hamilton, the books Hamilton as like a a, a fort. <laughs> me have a child? No. <laughs> okay, oh, for your dogs then. Uh, yeah, maybe for Letty. Make a dog we house have out a of child? No. <laughs> Dogs are kind of like permanent children. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah, I have they to are. Watch after them. One of the dogs I live with is ten. Acts like he's two. Like it's just he's never going to change. That sounds about right. <laughs> well, his brain is the size of a peach pit. <laughs> that is true. Can, can we grow him? <laughs> I don't want him. I don't want him to grow. I want to like snuggle under the covers with him every day. I think Bill He's... meant, can we put it in the ground and then a tree will come and be filled with other So dogs. I did read this week that Mia Farrow had Ronan Farrow's bones broken in his legs so that he'd grow three inches. Oh, what? <laughs> okay. Wait, like in Gattaca? <laughs> I guess, uh... but I, I knew somebody in high school who had that procedure as well. Like in Gattaca, I'm I'm going to say Hamilton one more time. No, no, Bill, you can't you can't Hamilton your way out of talking about breaking bones to grow. (laughs) See, I think this explains Cody Smith McPhee. I was about to make that very same joke. (laughs) I was about to say, how many breaks do you think Cody Smith McPhee has had? Jeez, can I talk? Oh, sorry. Uh, well, no, <laughs> I was just going to say, like, another thing that I had with this movie was like, all right, clearly that's Benedict Cumberbatch. Okay, clearly that's Jesse Plemons. Or it's, you know, a young, doughy Matt Damon. Um, but then we come to the restaurant, <laughs> oh. not the bed and breakfast, the restaurant. And I was like, oh, who's this blonde? Like, that's a weird no-name actress they found. She kind of looks like she could be distantly related to Kirsten Dunst. And then I was all like... Right, dude. And then it was her. I was legitimately like, oh, I had no idea. I had no idea. And finally, like, I looked up because I was like, is that Cody Smith McVie? Like, I don't know if it's just my mind going, but I was very, like, lost as to who these people were. And then I looked them up and I just don't I just think I haven't seen them in a while. Apparently, Jane Campion's wanted to work with Kirsten Dunst since, like, she saw her in The Virgin Suicides. Yeah, apparently. Um, Kiki's great in Fargo. Oh, I, Kirsten Dunst is one of our most underappreciated actors. Like, I, I, I think she's. I, I mean, amazing. I mean, recently though. Oh yeah, yeah. recently, yeah. Um, but well, like, yeah, I, I, I guess I haven't hmm? seen her in four years. I think that's the problem. Is I haven't seen her since the Beguiled. I saw her in uh, this the Showtime show that she was in on Becoming a God in Central Florida. Thank you. Yeah, you are welcome. It's, it's, it's also interesting that you uh, you you mentioned that she, you think it's a thankless role because I listened to um, the New York Film Festival uh, roundtable that they had, like a post Q&A they had after screening the movie. And Kirsten Dunst actually mentioned that she thought Jane Campion brought so much more to Rose on screen than her role in the book. So, well, I mean, I, 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 depending on how shit the role was in the book, I mean, maybe she did. I, I just I felt it's, here's the thing. The first time I watched this movie, I was kind of thinking that like, you know, because there's all this Cody Smith McPhee is saying some very sinister, potentially sinister things like, Mom, I'll make sure that I'm the one to do it, implying I'm going to kill Benedict Cumberbatch. And I could not tell if Kirsten Dunst was secretly plotting, like if she was kind of like right. wanting money or if, you know, she was in on her son doing this. But the second time, I, I don't think that's true at all. I think she's just 
you know, she is being tormented and I feel so bad for her. I mean, she had a husband who, you know, committed suicide, which, you know, and, and, and is struggling to get by. She loves her son, but society consistently makes fun of him. And, you know, I think, you know, she's lonely, just like Jesse Plemons is lonely. And, you know, um, I, I feel so much for her, uh, in the, like, it's, it's, I think that, um, I know that she's gotten some awards buzz, but I do think that she does so much with so little. She communicates so much pain in her eyes and in her lips in a way that it has to, it speaks volumes to me. It, it has to speak as to the amount of hurt that she's currently feeling, but can't express. And I think there's that great sequence, um, where, you know, um, uh, Native Americans are like wanting to buy the hides that, um, Benedict Cumberbatch is just planning to burn, like doesn't even care, just does not want them to have it. And I think Jane Campion's bringing out a really interesting comparison that, you know, Kirsten Dunst is as a woman in this setting is being treated horribly, just as like kind of drawing a parallel to how Native Americans are also in this time period being treated horribly. And it's like the one moment where she's able to use her stature to provide these people with you know, this gift that they want and, and then has that connection. I also think it foreshadowing, I didn't catch this the first time that they give her a pair of gloves. Yep. <laughs> and, and then when she passes out drunk and Jesse Plemons puts her to bed, he tries to take the gloves off of her. And she's like, no, no, I'm, I want them. Like, I just think that. The well, movie- gloves also lead oh, no. to. Okay. No, 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 please. I Sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> no, no, I was going to say, and the gloves were also the reason that Benedict Cumberbatch dies at the end yeah because he didn't use gloves when he should have i i noticed the second time around <laughs> yeah the second time around when he's doing the castration because i like most people i'm pretty sure you're just like oh wow i'm looking at a castration right now i couldn't really focus on anything but one of them goes so why don't you why aren't you yeah, wearing gloves and he goes and he goes because there's no point like they're not necessary or something and so I do think it's interesting watching this film a second time where it's like the breadcrumbs were all there. It's mm-hmm. just we, you know, the film is so slippery because at first you think, OK, it's going to be about Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons. And then it's actually secretly also about Cody Smith McPhee and um, Benedict Cumberbatch. I lo- But I feel like the way they all get equal footing is Jane Campion. Did you ever think this was going to be a movie about Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst? I mean, I at didn't. one point. At one point, there was a a period. I I don't know. There was that one segment in the beginning, you know, that they they get a lot of screen time. And then Cody Smith McPhee is kind of off to the side for the uh, good chunk of the first hour after that dinner. Like, I didn't really know Mm. what to expect, but I'm also love Jane Campion and know that she's not going to play something completely straight. There's always going to be some sort of subversion at play. And then I actually Uh, think if we want to. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Brian. I just I. It is shocking to me that anyone could watch this movie and think George Burbank and Rose Gordon. Those are our charismatic leads. Those are the ones we're going to stick with this whole time because there's nothing there. They're it married is... in real life. They have real chemistry on screen. Do they? Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like they met for the first time during they're every so scene sweet. they're in. They're sweet. You're a cynical bastard. They are <laughs> not going to make it as a couple. <laughs> This, they oh are my not, god, no, they're good. They are, I like they are not divorce trauma, dude. They are not believe they. I didn't believe for a second in this movie that they liked each other. I was on oh. Benedict Cumberbatch's side. I'm like, yeah, she's just depressed no. and wants to get out of this restaurant. Well, oh what my I think god, is inter- sick. 
Yeah, I Benedict uh, Cumberbatch I, I, was right. Robin. That's I'm going to stand no, in front of not. Congress with a sign no. that says Bill Burbank was right. Oh my God! No, but he wasn't think, right. He wanted his bro bro back. And to to parallel this with Benedict Cumberbatch and Cody Smith McPhee, which is that whole sensuality and chemistry they have with one another, does feel. I like how Jane Campion deals with because, you know, at first I was kind of like, well, Jane Campion almost always deals with sex. Where is that going to come into play? And the way that she what I love is that she's always making films about people who are um, they're they're sexually charged, but they're also either repressed or frustrated or she always deals with the fact that sex is hot, but it's also dangerous. And I think that the, the tension that we feel in between is like. I mean, th- is this okay? Like, I mean, like, you know, and Cody Smith McPhee and Benedict Cumberbatch are both like feeling, you know, terrified, but also erotically charged. And Jane Campion's not telling you how, w- what is an appropriate way to feel. And what I think is interesting is that Cody Smith McPhee, I do think the film is implying, we never get clarification that he's gay, but ultimately he does have a bond with Benedict Cumberbatch that he ultimately sacrifices. So Kirsten Dunst and uh, George, or Jesse Plemons, can be happy and do you think they're going to be happy clutches yes i don't yes, think I do. oh my god that is she's ki- he's curing his own mother's alcoholism yeah by killing her abuser and her tormentor i also think that she is pretty fucking quick to go to the bottle like I, what a, he's doing to suicide her widow. is not <laughs> worth first of all suicide Whoa. widow is a great term and it's I uh, just incredible. I um I had a joke that I was gonna make uh, about Suicide Girls, uh, the kind of like goth pinup thing, but I can't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. I think it was something about Suicide Widows being like the uh, the MILF spinoff of that website. Yeah, yeah, damn, that was a good Lots joke. Lots of too, chokers. I can't remember. Yeah, so many chokers. Okay, okay. Um, Here's but the no, thing. I don't think like she 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 is she crumbles. At the at the briefest flutter of a butterfly's wing of his his cruelty, no, like no, you you're telling me that what he's doing isn't abusive or that she. I mean, it's abusive, but it's not terrible. Like I just what? like. What are you talking about? You are scary. <laughs> he's awful to her. <laughs> In a way that you think necessitates her to become fall down fucking drunk within a week of meeting him. The movie doesn't. Argue it takes that her a long time. It takes a long time for it to get there. It's just a slow build. Yeah. Yeah. We, we see her sipping on it at first. Like, th- this doesn't happen necessarily in a week. Um, She's self medicating. That would have been an Ativan in 2021. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think I think we also are discounting what she's dealt with in the past as well. Like, and then her husband, her husband killed himself. Yeah. yeah well, probably. And her new, new husband leaves with him. Like still, and once again, I ask around, you. You her. think that with his actions, Jesse George Burbanks? I swear to God, I'm trying to use the character names. You George think that, Glass. You think that George Burbanks' actions towards Rose Gordon, his wife, indicate that even without Phil around, they're still going to have a happy relationship? Yes. No. Yes. He was the yeah. fucking terrible husband before. Anything he happened. never knew how to be a goddamn husband because his brother was looming around in the background listening to their voice. And he's not going to get any better now. I, I disagree. I disagree. Yeah. I disagree. What I what I like about this movie is after the piano scene, I'm like, oh, no, I hope this relationship doesn't go sour. And then when she does start 
you know, becoming an alcoholic, he stands up for her to him. Mm-hmm. I think it's because he doesn't believe him at first because he's an idiot. No, they are you kidding? He finds the bottle in her bed. He yeah, eventually after she sold the things and then the next day his brother dies. He doesn't he doesn't stand up for her after he knows he doesn't matter. I, I it, it matters only she, insofar she on, as you people seem to think go. that George and Rose are going to make it and they are getting divorced or he will also commit suicide and she will have driven you another are, man to the grave. Jesus you Christ. Are it's it's insane. three versus one and you're just going to be here and be like, stand in your wrongness, sir. Just yeah, 100%. Literally, Bill, that is my job on this podcast. I just think... to be wrong. It's yeah. I mean, it's I don't see a single moment after she moves in where I think that her and I think that like the problem with this movie is that you all are like, oh, Phil is like a corrosive vision of masculinity, and this movie's argument seems to be that there is no good hum like human male masculinity, and that like they all deserve to either die or be left. Or, what? you know, wither no. into a scarecrow what? man. What? Like that Cody is not what I'm saying at all. I don't know what's going on. Phil yeah, what's is happening? a shit terrible person, but he is at least competent at his job. And George is a doughy and fuck up who can't do anything right. And Cody Snimicfee looks like he might make a good surgeon one day because he does very ably take that rabbit apart. Well, I think Cody Smith McPhee is the secret weapon to this because he is understanding Benedict Cumberbatch's trauma and what happened to him. And he's he's aware using of that. It. Yeah, he's using that to weaponize him. And I think he's genuinely sad that he kills him at the end. Let's just Yeah, because they should have fucked. Yeah. Because, oh, I think but he's, he's you know, pretty the fucking line, thrilled. The open, no, he's not. The opening no, he's line guilty. of that movie is what kind of a man would I be if I did not protect my mother? And mom's already gone through enough shit in the past. She's not economically well off. Her husband committed suicide. And then at the end, she he ends up sacrificing his potential relationship, which he also is doing, I think, partially as self-protection because he doesn't want to fall into the same trap that Benedict Cumberbatch fell into. And then he takes the rope at, with the glove and he's mourning. He's he's mourning. I, oh, I, I thought he was that... like gloating. Like you made no. me this rope, and I got you killed, motherfucker. No, no, he's definitely gonna rub that rope on his peepee. Like that's gonna happen. <laughs> Robin, oh my never God. say anything like that ever again. No, I think that's perfect. <laughs> but I think that it's it's arguing that there is no like I think it's 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 examining complexities of gender roles in ways that aren't stereotypical and aren't on the nose. They are like it is a slow paced film and it is does require a lot out of you as a viewer to get onto its wavelength. But they're all there. I don't think that it, these people feel like people to me. They don't feel like just characters that immediately like have to be well like they're they're i don't think a character has to be well like but i at least like to think that they that there is some there's some reason to know them i think you do get to know these people you get to know them that doesn't ever make them worth knowing that's the problem that i'm having is that also what's a character's worth jesus christ everybody should die according to brian no i just like if i meet a human being in my life and i don't think they're worth knowing i don't hang out with them right so like why would a movie character be any different like these people are not worth it lasts two hours it's still too long like You've never been next to someone on a bus for 15 minutes and thought that was too long. 
Look, I don't want to spend time with Benedict Cumberbatch, Benedict Cumberbatch's character personally, but I find Benedict Cumberbatch is like yeah, Ruth's oh, Chris. Yeah, that was a Freudian slip. Yeah, that was a big you, slip on my end. I oh, feel boy. like you knew, you knew the second you said that, that we were going to have yeah. to stop and talk about yep, it. Yep, Again, Cody I would Smith's not, McPhee. Cody yeah. Smith's McPhee. I mean, you know, it's like, I don't want to hang out with Harvey Keitel's character in Bad Lieutenant, and he's a disgusting person, but is he interesting? Yes. Oh, yeah, he's interesting, but that's the problem is that no one in this movie is interesting. Well, interesting is... I disagree, brother. It's subjective. I'm sorry, I forgot about Lola. <laughs> <laughs> you only like Lola's orbs. There's also there's I'm looking at like two other actors in this in this movie just looking at the IMDb page and I don't remember seeing them at all. Which two? Alice Englert as Buster? Does anyone remember her? She's an actress no. I've seen in stuff and I've enjoyed and I don't I don't know where she was. Does in she this. play the wife of the mayor? Oh, and who didn't love that Keith Carradine? Um, <laughs> cameo, which was beautiful because it's such a nod to McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Yes, which beautiful. Is one of the best westerns ever. Best western. So I got I have just like question. best western, which is one of the best motels ever. Sorry, I had to do it. Oh boy, oh boy. Um, so you're on thin ice, man. My my question <laughs> is that Peter gets invited by Phil to go up onto the mountainside and like his mother immediately is like no 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 like that sounds like a terrible idea right um or actually i don't think she even knows about that plan but she expresses that they spend too much time together already um anyways had she known about that she probably would have said no uh but i feel like phil initially does this because he maybe thinks about murdering him maybe thinks about taking him up there and seeing if he just survives or dies i think that's Um, what kirsten dunce is afraid of but i I think she thinks he's gonna rape him right i couldn't tell what she was afraid of her son getting abused or her son getting seduced either way not good and he treats her like shit and always did i mean i think it's honestly because i think that after you know his his form of the way he sees george marrying rose is that he he's losing his brother and he's looking for some sort of male companionship yeah much like how bronco henry raised you know was took much like how bronco henry took him under his wing he wants to do the same to Cody Smith McPhee, which psychologically makes sense in terms of how abuse is cyclical. So and take revenge against Rose. Yes, for ruining too. his his equilibrium. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But that that sequence that he offers the that he's going to build Peter a rope happens almost at, almost immediately after Peter runs upon him you know and his secret stash and everything like that right right he he sees him in in fact i was i would thought that i'd missed something in the movie because peter happens upon him swimming in the river feels like get up get, get out of here and then the literal next scene feels like hey buddy come here yes. i'm gonna suggestively well, stroke this rope in front of you and ask you if you want it yeah. it was he was I, testing I, the boundaries like any groomer yep mm-hmm yeah, and and the fact that was he, you know, like, wait, Peter didn't was, immediately spread that knowledge around meant that maybe he has someone that 
is an accomplice, right? Or not does he know that Peter like, looked at the stash of Bronco Henry's pornography? Maybe not, but he definitely knows that Peter was watching him for a little bit and can't imagine like how long he's been watching him and probably what he actually witnessed. You know, I mean, it was definitely a sequence where Phil was filling himself up, uh, you know, while in the river and like had Bronco Henry's like kerchief around his neck <laughs> and he's so, also separated from all the other ranch hands who can correct. comfortably you know have this moment of you know just being naked in the water and playing around and he can't do that because he's afraid of what you know he's afraid he'll get aroused frankly i mean and, yeah, yeah sure and i think it's also interesting that he you know there's that whole thing of like you shouldn't um for the scene where that we mentioned about the governor coming in and uh George wanting Rose to play the piano, George initially goes up to him and says, look, if you're not going to wash, then like, don't bother showing up. I think it's interesting that he's always bathing in mud and he's, and that's the one moment where he bathes in the water just by himself, because that's the only time he feels comfortable in his own body and in his sexuality is like in that moment. And I'm wondering if the mud is also kind of a form of like, it's a gorgeous scene to look at, but I'm wondering if that's like almost him internalizing like his self-loathing in a way that, you know. And feeling soiled. Yes, exactly. Mm. Mm. I also think it it's the only time, I mean, you, you get the sense that this man hasn't had a sexual connection since Bronco Henry died like 20 years ago. Yes. That he's still Absolutely. in this arrested development phase. Apparently, I read somewhere that in the book, it is implied that he had sexual relations with some of the other ranch handlers, not mm. in this particular instance Group. but like in in previous jobs i don't think mm. that's implied at all in the movie but i do think that's an interesting thing to point okay out. so maybe it was just sex but not the love and companionship that he felt with his well you know we yeah. it's weird we we're talking about this movie called power of the dog and there is uh, important dog imagery and it's it's kind of a heavy-handed way to like you know show that they have a connection that goes beyond what he may have had with other people but like he's constantly staring at the hills and everyone's like what you looking at out there phil and he's like, I ain't never told no one. And he's like, you know, has has George seen it? And he's like, no, George ain't seen it. And it's like, has Bronco Henry seen it? And he's like, yep, Bronco saw it. And then Cody Smith McPhee walks up and is like, yeah, hey, there's a dog in there. So like, did you see it the first time though? Because I didn't see it the first time, and it's there the first I saw time. It. Yeah, I saw it. You I was did. like, oh, that's the dog. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Are are you saying did you see it when when Cody McPhee points yeah. it out? I know because it's more obvious there, but in the okay. shot prior, I didn't, it's, I didn't yeah. know what the fuck I was looking at. So yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't, because it, it I, is I, I there in yeah. the first shot. And in the, the second shot, it is obviously shot more. So you can see it before yes. he says it. Why don't no, I explain get, what this means. That, it's, yes. that, it, it's just the way of looking at the world. Like you're not, you're not seeing the, the mountains. You're seeing the shadows. You're seeing what's not there. The places the light doesn't what, touch. And what, what, negative what are space. you asking? I meant, well, okay, what he's describing is the silhouette of the mountains and that it looked Correct. like a dog. Correct. Correct. And it's like an optical illusion. Mm-hmm. And the dog is barking, like, yes. seemingly viciously. You know? Yeah. And Phil, who's who's very, you know, Who has like a high acumen. a vicious barking dog. <laughs> I was going to say, he has a high acumen, so he's one of those people that's like, if this person sees this thing in the Rorschach test then they're smart. Right. Phil's a real, I'm not like other girls kind of guy. Yes. <laughs> He's a, whoa, oh shit. What's the term? Uh, someone just told me. He's a real pick me. 
Mm. Pick me, bitch. A pick me. Yeah. He's a pick me. What's a pick me? It's a girl who's like, oh, I'm not like other girls. Like it's it's like, you know, desperately wanting to be picked. I've never heard that term. Picked by what? By the the guy. Pick me, pick me. Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) Robin's working (laughs) this out in real time. According to Urban Dictionary. A pick-me girl is a girl who goes out of their way to impress boys and make them seem that they're, quote, not like other girls, end quote. It's kind of like a simp, but for girls, it's also known as internalized misogyny, according to some. And then this this Urban Dictionary definition helpfully says, not the easiest to explain, but when you see it, you'll know it. <laughs> it's like porn. Damn. Okay. Awesome. So the example is normal girl. I don't skate. And then the pick me girl says, yeah, I skate. I'm not like other girls. I'm unique. Boys always go for the basic girls. Not like me. <laughs> and then it weirdly says also the pick me girl asterisk. Can't even Ollie asterisk. Wow. <laughs> I feel attacked. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy. But yes, so uh, yeah, he's like, you're, you're I'm like, not like other like, I'm not like other boys. I see the barking dog. And Cody Smith McPhee's like, OMG, I totally see the other dog too. OMG. And then they kind of look at each other and go, Did we just become best friends? <laughs> and no, then they we became make lovers. rope together and one of them fucking dies of anthrax. Well, he's not dies he doesn't really die of anthrax, he's murdered by, by anthrax. anthrax. Murdered via anthrax. He's anthraxed to death. This movie made me remember that time in America when we all thought anthrax was the next big thing that was going to kill us yeah, all. Yeah, it really. Um, there's really a, there's a movie on that. I, on, uh, a hot zone. Yeah, hot zone anthrax. Yeah. You know what? The other I got crazy- a cookie. I got a cookie from ABC that said anthrax hot zone on it. What the fuck? That's <laughs> I also got one that cookie. said dope sick. <laughs> oh, that was okay. So the I watched dope sick on Hulu, right? Um, and there was a point where that movie takes or that movie, that miniseries takes place in like the early aughts or the late aughts. I don't know. The movie takes place over like 30 years and it's very hard to tell what's happening when because it pings pongs back and forth so much. Um, anyway, this is not a review of dope sick. But there's a point where a federal agent is given a package with no return address and he just opens it in the middle of the office. And as a person who was a Senate intern who was in the mailroom in that area, I know that that's not how that fucking happens. Wait, really? Yeah. So like there is a mailroom. How old were you? 14? What's in the early 2000s? No. You well, nine eleven happened when we were yes, 13. okay, but not that early. It was like two thousand. All right, so mid two okay. thousands. Yeah. So anyway, okay. so like it. it so you're it, post anthrax. It was post anthrax, but still anthrax was a concern because in the Senate office there is a mail room for the senator, and you go in there for and the it's mails. usually two interns at the same time, and you're opening the mail. And you're looking at it and then you're sorting it so that it can be given to the proper department head or whatever. And there was a protocol where if anything came out of the letter or the package that was not, you know, readily identifiable. And it obviously had a very powerful filtration system in there that was constantly sniffing for poisons and biological entities. And if an alarm went off, you first of all, never take any mail out of there that hasn't already been opened. And if the alarm went off, you were to seal yourself inside and await further instructions. 
Uh, well, so that that means, uh, sorry, Brian, you you lived a good life, but uh, you're going to be hermetically sealed inside of here for the rest of your life. Right, for the next 30... 24 hours. Yeah, for the next 300 years, your corpse will be in the Hart Senate office building. <laughs> no, it was because, it was you know, if you get anthrax on you, they don't want you running around giving anthrax to other people. So they're like, you look, it's not like we're going to like light the room on fire like people will come for you but for the safety of your co-workers and i was like i don't even like my co-workers i'll still run out of here but so yeah there's a lot of anthrax talk happening lately and it's uh been giving me flashbacks to when i was a senate intern yeah or like when i do something bad and my husband's like i'm gonna get my anthrax rope has he been saying that to you like he has oh, been. <laughs> that does not surprise me even a little bit. Oh, that's what that rope thing was. Okay, I got it. I got what? it now. Wait, what? The the, the rope keychain that also came with the book. Oh, the yep. Cute. Yeah. Well, because uh-huh. it was it was not a a very long rope keychain, and I was very confused at first. Just long enough after to watching kill. It, uh, yeah, I guess. I, even, I was just like, this is this just seems like those things that I used to make in like middle school when, lanyards. Yeah, the lanyards, and I was just like, this seems very half finished. I don't know why I'm getting this. And this was before I saw the movie. Oh man, um, like, do you mean like ba- the uh, what was it called? The gimp, the gimp ropes, or whatever. Uh, what? What? <laughs> When when I was a kid, there would be those multicolored plastic things, and you like yes. braid them together. Yes. I don't I've know. I've never what you're heard that term. It's. I'm looking it up now because now I'm worried that I've accidentally said like slanderous thing. No it's string gimp. plastic gimp plastic gimp braid braided woven and gimp oh. trims flat back trims machine created trims. Oh, I thought this yeah. was like a Pulp Fiction joke. No, yeah, I, I, it, I, I know it sounded like that, but that's legitimately what it's called. And I don't know why it was called that. And it struck me as weird even as a child because I was like, uh, I'm pretty sure that we had a whole like, you know, assembly about how we're not lanyards. supposed to use that word. Netflix did send us a gimp mask to advertising Pulp Fiction, which is weird. Which is weird because that movie's not even available Wait, for awards. Really? No. Okay. I want to talk about a trope that I found very interesting. And I, uh, Charlie, we sort of touched on this when we saw the movie, but I'm very interested in the archetype of the evil twink. Um, this yes. is something I really wasn't that familiar with until I started listening to a what podcast. What does twink mean? Okay. Charlie, <laughs> I'll it's, let you describe it. It's, it's a gay man who is seeming is very clean cut, very boyish in appearance, uh, not very hairy. Right. It's it's like a clean the way it's always been been pitched to me, because I, I had some I, I once asked a couple of my gay friends to explain the subcultures because they kept calling me a bear. And I was like, what's that? Like, please stop. If you're going to if you're going to tell me what I am, please at least let me know what it means. And then I was like, oh, okay, I can see that. Um, And it was pitched to me as like they're like almost like the kind of guys that Robin likes, like wayfish kind of kind of like (laughs) usually on the thin side, hairless again. Like, you know, almost like one of them once told me like every anime boy was a twink. I don't know if that tracks, but. Skinny. Yeah. 
I will also, usually very overly pale. What were you going to say? say? Oh, just a, a side bit. Uh, the New York Film Critics Circle was uh, voting for their awards on Friday, and I'm friends with Keith. Ulick, they have a, a twin award. No, but but when <laughs> okay. but but Keith Ulick texted me that hula hoop killer twink just won our best supporting actor, and <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Wait, is it yeah. with that what hula hoop? That hula hooping killer twink just won our best supporting actor award. Cody Smith McPhee won their. Yes. Oh, 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 I didn't hear the hula. I was like hula hooping. No, remember when he gets upset after they make fun of him at the uh, for serving them. And, and that little girl's like, hoops. what did I just walk in on here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess. Uh, sorry to sidetrack already, Robin, but I guess what I love about this is that he's not evil, though. I think he's he, he is. He's also a tragic character. But you're right. I mean, there is a thing that is it's kind of a, you know, winky sort of like. Yeah uh trope that is the killer twink uh so yeah and i yeah i only became familiar with this term because i listened to a podcast called bad gaze and it's by these two uh is, is that is academics. that like g-a-z-e or is that g-a-y-s so it's it's oh, by these two okay. academics who are queer men and they uh they go through gay men throughout history or queer men throughout history who are also considered like villainous and mm. they keep bringing up this trope so buffalo the, bill wait i don't oh. know <laughs> no, i thought you meant like, like alexander the great or uh yeah. um oh my god what's his name the the campbell soup painter <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> He's fucking torpedoing. minutes, this. bitch, are over. Um, yeah, so oh, yeah, that fucking bitch these... who made the Campbell soup paintings. <laughs> <laughs> so they go through like different. It's almost like a biography type of thing, but they analyze the person's queerness and their bastardy. Did they talk about talented Mr. Ripley at all? I feel like that's a prime example. That's definitely a prime example, but they're doing real life people, not fictional people. Gotcha. Boo. Yeah, but they do talk. I think they started um, when they were talking about the person that got entangled with Oscar Wilde. I forget the guy's name. um, Boatsy or Bozy or something like that. Banksy? Um, (laughs) No, no. Bill, not Banksy. There was like a young man who was the reason for Oscar Wilde's downfall. He had this relationship with this young, this young poet and the young poet who's very wealthy. His father was like disgusted by all of this. And they had a very tumultuous relationship. And then eventually the father um, accused Wilde of being inappropriate with his son. And then that started the whole, um, you know, trial that ended up in Oscar Wilde going to prison and his death and, and all that stuff. So his so name they, is Lord Alfred Douglas, also known as Bosey. I don't know what the fuck. How do you get Bosey out of Alfred Douglas? I don't know. I don't even remember. But he he is considered like sort of the the proto or like the your evil twink. <laughs> um Did you according say to these. Like the year, like the year. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you said yurt, and I was like, I think that's a that's that's a it's a kind of like tea primitive tea. hut, isn't it? <laughs> and so now I can't stop seeing this this trope everywhere. And we just watched Search Party, and Cola Scola uh, plays a very classic version of this. And then we watched this, and I was just like, oh my god, like this is a real thing. And I wouldn't, and I, as a woman, 
just had no clue. It's it's sort of, I think, an, an equivalent to like the magical Negro type of archetype or something. Um, mm. You don't you don't realize how kind of synonymous it is until you see it. And so you start seeing it, then you see it everywhere. So I just I mm-hmm. thought this was a really interesting version of this type of character. And I agree with you, um, Charlie, that this is not he's not evil, but he's scheming. He's a survivor. Yeah. And he's pretty much everything that that Cumberbatch's character presumes he has he doesn't have the gumption to be. He sees this person who makes a, a paper flower and thinks that he's soft. And he's going to toughen him up. He's yeah. going to turn him into rope. He he thinks it until he sees uh, snap that fucking rabbit's Peter. neck. Yes, and That's then he's like, scene. "Huh? Yeah." Then he's like horny. <laughs> they, but they he was horny for him before animals. that, wasn't he? He well, was he like. Also- Oh, sorry, Brian. Oh, it's just like, you know, he's like, I'm going to make this rope for you, boy. And then, like, before they even go out into the mountains, like, what's his fuck? George is like, they've kind of paired up like they're friends now. Why is my wife, who's clearly not drunk as fuck, so upset about this? I am an idiot. And we're, our marriage is never going to last. Well, it's still <laughs> his brother, too. It's like he wants him to have a good relationship with him. And, like, he's, he doesn't know what to do. I mean, his he, he doesn't know how to stand up to his brother at the beginning. And I think he's kind of just done with this lifestyle and looking for a way out. And then sees what, you know, psychological violence he's, impa- he's inflicted on Rose and Peter. And is kind of like, I'm sick of this shit. Why doesn't and, he leave? Is, this, is that addressed at any point? Like, well, he doesn't seem I to do much like for this business manager of... He he does the the brains stuff, not the bronze stuff. Even though gotcha. he's not the brains of the operation, he's not. He's an idiot. He he's a moron. Also, he's I am on Lord Alfred Douglas's Wikipedia man. page, and this is like seven hundred different rabbit holes you could go down. Oh, it is a thousand rabbit holes. It is fascinating. I've never heard of the Uranian poets, and that's like a whole thing that seems very disturbing to learn about. The other thing I couldn't help but think about the second time around is that it's ultimately revealed later on. I mean, there's that moment where it's after uh, Benedict Cumberbatch very hilariously is like jerking off a phallic piece of wood that he's sticking into the ground. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. That and, whole like, uh, uh, let's make this fence around this giant thing of hay. Yeah. And I he's think that's the, he's being that's a moment that is a moment where he's being a real pick me. And and and, okay. and but, I, but Jane Cambion's in on the joke. She's she obviously knows it's funny. It's like it's like in a Douglas Sirk film when like you know she cradles the fucking Statue of Liberty miniature on um the table in um uh the wind fuck the wind will carry us <laughs> yeah yeah um the wind but, um, fuck the wind <laughs> the, the, yeah you know the wind fuck the wind really fucks you guys um but uh, <laughs> I, I uh, um but. You know, there's that moment that Cody Smith McPhee said, yeah, my dad always said I was n- I wasn't kind enough. I was too soft. You know, I was, you know, too tough. And Benedict Cumberbatch is like you. <laughs> so, like, I'm wondering if Cody Smith McPhee is trying to put on a performance in the beginning that he isn't really that sensitive kid, that he's trying to be hospitable and, you know, welcoming as, as putting on an act. And then when he does, people can see that he's, you know, because I, I do think he is effeminate. The movie never actually states that he's gay but it's it i think it's implying that he is but i was like, getting some real ace vibes from him in all honesty like he didn't seem to be super attracted to benedict cumberbatch until he realized he could leverage it he was not interested at all in lola uh, he honestly but he also he, he's also smart and not taking the bait though i mean there's that whole scene like there this movie has no profanity in it at all except for that one moment where he shows up in that 
you know, cowboy hat and the new shoes and everyone's screaming the F slur at him. And he doesn't seem and he's walking left to right. Oh, and, yeah. He's, you know, feeling himself in that. Scene. He's feeling himself. But then he, you know, he doesn't take the bait and doesn't get violent. He just kind of turns around and walks away and it shuts them the fuck up because they're assholes. Also, and because think- Benedict Cumberbatch's jaw is on the floor at that point. Because yeah. <laughs> that kid, I mean, he, he's walking around white and, shoes right over here. Right. He that's the thing is like I say he's feeling himself like he he is. He honestly seems to think that he he looks good in it. And he knows that Benedict Cumberbatch thinks he looks good in it. And he's literally touching himself all over. And yeah, it's he he's like dangling himself like a juicy little piece hey, of twink meat right like in front Benedict of Cumberbatch has his pants off and is literally just like <laughs> like <laughs> salivating with Kirsten Dunst also there so like yes it's very uh, subtle don't listen to us hyperbolic uh, it is not subtle is, in, a, in the is, least yes it is <laughs> no it's not it is it is. I really don't think anxiety. it is. And that's not me saying that as a bad thing. I think it actually could be like construed as a good thing that it's not subtle. I think that like I think that the unsubtlety of it to our modern eyes and the utter confusion with which everyone who's not Benedict Cumberbatch re- reacts Cumberbatch. to it. Cumberbatch. I think we butchered his name more than we've actually <laughs> pronounced it correctly Cummy. at this point. Bandislav and Crambleclab. Benedict Cummy. That's what we're going to call no, it. The, other, uh, uh, the uh, other thing I couldn't help but think of is that the last movie, he kind of did a role like this, and the movie's queer themes are supposed to sneak up on you is The Imitation Game, which all of a sudden turns, it's like an Oscar biopic, and then it's like, hey, did you know gay rights should exist? Like, that half hour before the movie is over and then it all of a sudden becomes this horribly heavy-handed message movie where i'm like you weren't really interested in this you're just trying to find a way what to was, fucking end your piece of shit biopic what like, was the insane oscar like thing for that wasn't it like it's time or like i don't the remember time is now i i barely thought about that movie at all since i've seen basically it yep. yeah but like i think it's just an interesting inverse because i thought he was such a bore in that movie and it might not have even been his fault he might have just been directed badly and like because now it's this is a type of performance where i'm like oh i have to take back every mean thing i've ever said about him because he really can't act and i think that you know it's all i i love the way that jane campion just um prioritizes blocking people in the frame and what their body language is it's more like it's is it's the physical intimidation everyone uh, feels from his character as opposed to because mm-hmm. he does say, say some horrible things he does I mean especially in the beginning like making fun of Cody Smith McPhee's lisp and you know stuff like that but it is so much about you know who they are physically as well as emotionally and he carries himself like a typical Marlboro man and you know he's really just a sad lonely uh, traumatized you know man child when it comes down to it who lashes out when he doesn't get his way so I, I, I don't know. I, I, I It totally took me by surprise how much I enjoyed this movie, uh, his performance in this movie, because I was kind of like, well, I, I love Jane Campion and will watch anything she makes. But Benedict Cumberbatch. Eh? And then, yeah, it didn't matter. Five minutes in, I was already into it. Already totally bought him. You know, for someone who, quote unquote, hates this movie, Brian, you sure are invested in this conversation. I said oh. I would be invested in this conversation. I know, but the movie didn't. I'm not hearing the me. hatred. 
Uh, oh, uh, please, someone remind Robin of literally everything I've said about this movie. I don't know. He seems time. to think every character in this movie is a moron who is not worthy of <laughs> Except for Benedict time. Cumberbatch. <laughs> but you're taking it seriously. So there's one. I don't understand. Final... You think I would dislike a movie and then say, as such, I shall not take it seriously? Like, my the purpose I of... think you just like to thumb your nose. I and did the not end of the day. enjoy watching this movie, would not tell people to watch it, and would never watch it again. Does that mean that I liked it just because I'm capable of talking about it in depth? Do, uh, mm. what, I, I know I have not been able to shut up about how much I stand at the Church of Campion, but what's everyone else's relationship to her work? Was this your first? Was this like... Mm. I do believe this is... might have been my first. Gotcha. You've never seen the piano? No. Oh, it's great. Oh, I've heard it. Fabulous. I've heard I've like this I've heard that the piano's great. I've never heard a good word about in the cut. Oh, in the cut fucking rules. It's actually having a bit of a resurgence right now. Okay, it is so that's the thing. It's another one of those movies where like I've only ever heard bad things, but then like the director's got a new movie coming out and people are like, you know, it's actually well, a good movie, is that movie that everyone hates. It, it, you know it's, it's a decent it's, movie. Freddie got fingered. You know, you know, I, you know I, what's a great I movie is the Matrix sequels, <laughs> and we should all definitely one hundred percent get invested in the new Matrix not being another fucking dog I, pile of bullshit. Like, wait, oh Jesus! I actually thought that you were being serious about the Matrix series. No, the sequels Matrix sequels are good. terrible, and everyone who says uh, they aren't is not getting themselves. With this. Uh, but <laughs> no, but I think the thing that, about in the cut that really bothered me, and even though I like this movie, is that that movie was most well known for. Uh, as a joke in Knocked Up because Seth Rogen is um, making basically a Mr. Skin ripoff and he's like, have you seen In the Cut? Meg Ryan shows everything in that movie and what's really especially offensive about that joke to me, not like I'm trying to be the PC police here, is that Jane Campion's taking the erotic thriller seriously and that's all about how being a sexually charged woman is kind of terrifying in a male-dominated world. So like, I think that movie actually is You know, I think people could say it's her messiest film, but I think it's I think it's fabulous, honestly. And I think Meg Ryan's fucking amazing in it. And then her career got ruined because she took a chance and went out of her comfort zone. And Jane Campion took a chance and went out of her comfort zone. Also, I think it was released on like Halloween in 2003, which 2003 wasn't ready for that movie. And (laughs) definitely not during Halloween. That's a real Christmas. That's a real one. That's a real we think this is a turd and we just don't care so uh, type of release. So, yeah, yeah well, um, you know, Meg Ryan was still America's sweetheart. And then that movie happened. And like, oh, I guess we don't know. She anymore. wasn't. This is this was a, the post Ryan. This was her supposed to come back. Oh, was this after she like what was it? She fucked Russell Crowe. That's a really cruel way to it put was that. after Proof yeah. of Life. Yeah. yeah, that was the movie that kind of took her down. And then it became the movie that everyone talked about because she gets naked. And it just is a total like disrespect to everything that movie's trying to say to begin with, which. Well, I think as a joke about how clueless those guys are, it works. But I think the problem is that you'd need a better movie or a more well-respected movie to make that joke work as it is in the cut was already. I, I think it was also, yeah, just the way that the culture talked about it. It was an easy, it was an easy target. And I, for the record, I like knocked up. I think it's a funny movie. It's just, you know, it's just in as a time capsule. Now it's just kind of like, oh, really dude, you're going to pick on the movie that Meg Ryan took a chance with. And I, I don't know, but I also love that movie. So, you know, well, it's on my list. I, I think this is my fourth champion because I saw the piano when I was like 14. I saw Bright Star a few years ago. I really wanted to see Bright Star. 
Yeah. It's hard. Um, it's good. It's good. I I think the piano is so brilliant. And there's um yes. the portrait of the lady, which is not so great. Mm, that's that's one I, I yeah, I mentioned earlier. I hadn't seen it. It's oh man, list, Ben Wishaw's in Bright Star. Never mind. What? Yeah, exactly. He's he's, he's great. I fucking hate Ben mm, Wishaw. Yeah. He's, he's, oh. I, I can't. I, I need to go. I, I would rather to- watch a wet paper <laughs> bag slowly Kenzie dissolve in the villain. rain. Uh, I love Ben Wishaw. He's Paddington. And not to Yeah, I don't have to look at him when he's Paddington. Um but um just as a side note, my sister had a really funny my sister actually saw the piano before me because she was ho- home with my mom one day and wanted to watch the pianist. <laughs> and, oh <laughs> and um, and then they accidentally thought the piano was the pianist, and then my mom was like, Oh wait, this movie, this movie's also good. Let's watch it, having no recollection that you know it that movie's just all sex all the time. <laughs> and my poor like 10 or 11 year old sister fingers. at the time was just kind of like, uh <laughs> it's a it's a one wonderful movie though i i it, it's crazy to me that that movie was such a hit both with critics and with audiences because you could not make that movie and release it in theaters today and get people to line up for it yeah because all so the people want today are superheroes and fucking superheroes i couldn't think of a second genre to malign. i mean it's also just like an uh, such an unconventional romance because the movie's centrally about like Holly Hunter wanting to exchange, she exchanges sexual favors to get keys from her piano back that her husband who bought her as part of a, you know, land bargain is now just like, <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. That's I'm a classic the- story. That's, a, a that's an I, archetypical I, I, story of uh, every boy and girl ever growing up has that story ingrained into their memory. Yeah, but it's, but it, it works and it's, it's, it's fantastic. And it's ultimately even romantic, even though it's kind of fucked up. I mean, that's kind of what I love about Jane Campion is nothing's ever simple black or white shit. It's all layer. It's all nuanced layers and complexity about, psychologically at least to me psychologically fascinating people so your mileage may vary clearly so yes. <laughs> take, yeah i hope she wins the oscar for this movie uh, there i said it i i hope so too but i think it's we've mentioned it's a netflix movie i think it's a shame. I mean, we had it at the Coolidge Corner Theater where I work in Brookline, Massachusetts for two weeks. It didn't make that, that much money, but I think it is the type of movie that I'm so grateful I saw in a theater because I'm worried this is going to be the type of movie where people go, oh, I heard this is good. Watch, you know, clearly uh, Bill and Brian, you struggled with the first half hour. I think people are also going to struggle with it and just shut it off. Yeah, and 100%. percent going to. You know, I just I think it and it's as as Robin pointed out about the cinematography, it's my favorite cinematography of the year. I mean, I think it's just so beautiful to look at, especially if it's on a big screen. I don't know if it's playing anywhere still now that it's hit Netflix, probably not many places anymore. But I do think it is, you know, it's 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 kind of a double edged sword with Netflix because, you know, obviously this is the type of movie that will be released to mainly people on the coasts and uh, (laughs) select cities. So I'm glad everyone has access to it. I just worry Mm -hmm. that you know, the general public is just going to be like, ugh, no. And just, rightly like, so <laughs> there, Robin, does it sound like I hate it now? Is that, does that work? No, I think you? you love it. I don't understand you. <laughs> what <laughs> do you think? You're uh, secretly in love uh, with this movie. Bill, I, you seem to have the most 
in the middle like robin and i are like on one end and brian's on the other end and you seem to be the most in the middle it's out of the everyone. very classic construction of these episodes it's always <laughs> brian and i and the guest as extremes and I, bill I, being really reasonable <laughs> i guess i guess and i feel like we've yeah like i'm curious like if anything like if you, what's on your mind after we've been kind of talking about this for two hours and where you stand on it now because I, I certainly like it more now that i uh, like here's here's my issue is i don't feel like i want to put myself through watching this again but i'm so glad that it sounds like both you and robin have um and you know i think what's interesting about this film is kind of the nuances and the subtleties in it. Um, you know, I, I kind of feel like the film definitely changes its mood and it's, it's, I mean, it really, it focuses on, on Cumberbatch's character and how much nuance he is kind of given because he is just a straight up dick for the first 30 minutes. And then you kind of get some rounded corners to him and you learn a little bit about him and then you understand that he's a very damaged person and that his damage is him you know, it results in him lashing out at other people. And so then you kind of feel not necessarily sad for him, but you start to understand him a lot more. Um, I didn't, to be honest with you, I didn't really notice the cinematography that much. Um, I think, I think I will always struggle with watching a film on my TV and being impressed with the cinematography. I think there's, there's something to be said about watching it on, you know, in a, in a theater and stuff like that. Um, although then again, you know, I've definitely nominated films for cinematography that I watched through Netflix and some other avenues. Um, but no, I, I didn't notice the cinematography as much in this besides just the fact that like it is shot on gorgeous landscapes like that's, New Zealand, that's baby. Kinda, yeah. Um, Lord of the Rings. Yes, absolutely. It, it looks um, like Lord of the Rings, not in a bad way, but you know, I, I haven't seen it? any. Yo, of yo, oh, my God. Are you fucking kidding stuff? me? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, th- there is. These there are the plains of Rohan. Funny. <laughs> There is something funny that I kind of realized as I was watching this film was I because there is a sequence late in the film where uh, George takes his brother into town to get his hand bandaged up because his hand is fucking looks gangrenous and is like about to fall off and he takes him in the, I, I assume, the Model T. And I was just like, hold on. Like, I understand that his brother probably can't be on a horse, but wouldn't a Like, I'm looking at the speed of the Model T, and I'm like, a horse would outrun that Model T, like, five times over. And I'm like, okay, either they're going really far which means the horse would probably have to take breaks and like you can't run it that hard. And then I started wondering how much how much gas mileage does a Model T get because I'm like if they're going 100 miles an hour or 100 <laughs> 100 miles I was like 
can that get there in one tank of gas? And where are they filling up? I don't understand where oil is coming from, or gasoline is coming from at this point. Um, so I looked it up, and apparently, like the Model Ts get like eighteen to twenty-one miles per gallon, which uh, That's not bad. Actually, actually, is not fucking bad at all. I was just, I was really surprised by that. So uh, definitely understand why the Model Ts became a thing, and why I guess you would take your brother in on the Model T instead of a horse. That's so. what the movie was secretly about the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was I was just I was flabbergasted by that. I was just like, "Wait. I will I will what, say what is that the gas mileage of these fucking things cuz like they can't have a giant gas tank." <laughs> I will say that my idiot self I was like, "Okay, horses, horsepower. Ooh, there's a car, more horsepower. Power of the dog. What's the what's the thing going to be? What's the line going to be that makes this work?" I was like, Waiting for something about horses and horsepower and then power of the dog. And maybe it's just because I had watched Dune recently and I was like, you know, land power, air power. What we need is desert power. What we need is dog power. And um, <laughs> I'm glad I got over that at a certain point because I felt like I was really going crazy. And then it's given to you in like literally the last few lines of the movie. Yeah. Um, you know, me. every oh, time someone busts a Bible out to give me the title of a movie, I'm really excited about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, of I can't even um, tell if I'm joking or not. <laughs> to, to answer your question overall, Charlie, uh, I definitely think this this conversation has given me a lot more to appreciate about this film um than i originally had uh but it doesn't sound like you've convinced me that that first uh, you know 30 minutes or so is any more bearable than it it actually is i mean i love the first 30 minutes but i totally understand that it is tough to sit through in terms of like yeah it's it's violent i mean it's violent it's it's a violent first half hour i mean Mm -hmm. it's it's upsetting uh, I, I, I did notice one thing uh, that I found interesting is that uh, Cumberbatch's character makes a comment to Cody Smith McPhee that, you know, the, the white shoes, he needs to stop wearing them. Do you have boots? You should go wear your boots. And from that point on, he wears the cowboy boots pretty much all the time uh, that I've seen. And then right after... He, uh, uh, Phil gets taken into town to get his hand bandaged up. We see a sequence later that day or after the funeral and Cody Smith McPhee is back in the white shoes. And I was just like, oh, oh, okay. So being deceptive. Mm hmm. A real tricky twink. Right, Robin? Evil twink. Oh, they can be tricky too, right? Not a trickster twink. I didn't say a trickster twink. I said a tricky twink. <laughs> that <laughs> seems to have more connotations. <laughs> all right, we done? I um, think. I think, I think all in all, we all loved it. No question. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I just we, we need turn to, Brian around film, entirely. Film I don't understand this. <laughs> I really Gaslit Brian and now he's so confused. I really could I I was confused when you said like I don't understand. You said you didn't like this movie but you like talking about it. And I'm like, yeah, I like talking about a lot of things that I don't enjoy. 
just a very weird thing to say. I don't know. Have I ever not liked a movie and then basically just sat in the corner and pouted while everyone else talked about it? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, before we do say goodbye, I feel like a movie entitled The Power of the Dog is a great time to reintroduce one of our favorite uh, defunct games, uh, DoesTheDogDie.com. Let's uh, Mm. do a quick round of the the DoesTheDogDie.com game. DoesTheDogDie.com is a uh, website that helps you avoid things that could be triggering in movies. So let's start and we'll see if the voters on DoesTheDogDie.com answered yes or no to the following questions. Question one, does the dog die? No, there are plenty mm. of dogs that are actually around Cody Smith McPhee that don't. <laughs> yeah, no, the dog does not die, but I feel like someone will say no, but the rabbit does. Robin? No, okay, no yeah. dead dogs, unless you count Benedict Cumberbatch as a metaphor for no, uh, they don't work on metaphors at doesthedog.com. Uh, according to doesthedog.com, no people or nine people answered no, the dog does not die. Now, here is a question do, Are animals abused? Yes, yes, that horse is whipped. Oh, yeah, especially mention. I, I, that scene, I just want to point out real quick. I think it's really interesting that that is right after, um, you know, Jesse Plemons or George says we were married on Sunday and what does Benedict Cumberbatch do, but uses horribly sexist. That is, I said there was no swearing. This is the few times that there are swears as he like starts basically calling the horse a bitch and a whore and, you know, horrible <laughs> things, der- derogatory terms for women at the horse as it's, he's beating it up. Yes. Also apologies in it for my use of it. Them. Anyway, uh, yes, animals are abused, and yes, people are talking about the horse scene. Now, the craziest part is, and it's 23 people said yes, which might be the most answers to any question on this. And they all talk about the horse scene, and the first person with the most highly voted answer also seems to be concerned that the horse was literally abused in order to get that scene made. I don't think Jane Campion would go that far. Come on. I would agree. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure of what to think about that. So, <clears throat> not Heaven's Gate where they blew up literal horses. <laughs> like, yes. Wait, really? Oh yeah, I watched the. I love Heaven's Gate for the record, but I was watching the extended cut, being like, "Wow, I don't know how they filmed this. It looks like the horses are actually being blown up, and in fact, they <gasps> were." Yeah. Didn't a bunch of horses die on that Dustin Hoffman show? I think it was, was that two. Luck or yeah, something? luck. Luck was a great show. I'm very sad that it was canceled, but I'm also sad that those horses died. So there were like a lot of horses, like five to seven or something. Was it? I thought it was two. I think it was like one horse died, and they're like, uh, I think that will be the only one, and then no. another one immediately died afterwards. Okay, that's the real question. How many horses died on luck? Okay, well, you look that up, and I will ask another question. <clears throat> Is there addiction? Yes. 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 <laughs> Five people yes. answered yes to that, and it is true. And also, there's the question Does someone abuse alcohol? And the answer yes. is also yes. You don't have to do that. <clears throat> and <laughs> there were three horse deaths, so neither of us were right. I was still more feels right. like a lot. I was the closest without going over. Okay. The price is right. Here is the final question that I will ask. Ahem. <clears throat> Is there autism-specific abuse? 
Oh, hmm. I feel like this is this is a trick question. Yeah, this is dicey, well, the, man. You can't the, like the the way that they treat Cody Smith McPhee in this film. His character, it feels like it's borderline. I don't think. I mean, they wouldn't use autism back in this time, so they didn't say anything specifically about autist autistic people but i feel like they they do say that or he does say that her son is like slow he calls him in a letter half baked which is yes an exceedingly fucked up way to say whatever he was trying to say so yeah i would say yes that's the and this this is where the skill of the does the dog die.com game comes into play because Sure, there are certain things that are legitimately true that you can say yes or no. And then there are questions like this where you have to put into your head what it would be like to be someone who votes on DoesTheDogDie.com and what they would say. <laughs> yes. So This is the tricky part. Is there autism-specific abuse? Uh, can you all lock in your answers again? Charlie, what did you say? Yes or no? I'd say yes, but I also... Don't nope, you just said yes. You can't equivocate. Yeah. It's a yes or a no. It's a binary. Yes, fine. Yes. <laughs> All right. Bill Graham. Yes. Robin Barr. Yes. The answer is no. Whoa. Two yes to three no. With the top We're too woke. The top <laughs> comment being Peter isn't said to be autistic, but it's possible he is bullied for traits that could be autistic. Well, see, that's what I would like to. That was what I wanted to say, but then it makes it this total binary thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know. You I know, feel like fair. I, I feel like I should. I I should go on there, make the tie, and then one of y'all should break the tie by also saying <laughs> yes. I, I also just don't feel qualified to answer that type of question. Yeah, I'm like, not a clinician. Yeah, for this fake fictional person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yet, people on DoesTheDogDie.com, two people said yes, which means that they ha- are entitled to make that distinction. <laughs> Bill, you'll remember this. Sure. There used to be a question on DoesTheDogDie.com that was like, "Does it not have a happy ending?" Oh, right? Jesus, yeah. So, it, I, do, does it? Does it? Does it not have a sad ending? And it, you're just like, "What the fuck does that?" Right. Mean? It was that's something a, that was crazy, bad. and it was my yeah. favorite question to ask because it always ground everyone to a halt as they tried to navigate the grammar. And unfortunately, I think that that question has been edited. Because now it just asks, does it have a sad ending? <laughs> I also don't think that, I think this movie has a totally, yes, it has a very sad, tragic ending. At the same time, Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst are saved. So it's perfectly, that's kind of why I love the ending of this movie is it's totally bittersweet. I mean, well, yeah. so that's, so then I guess this will be the final one. I was not going to ask because I missed the fact that it used to say something insane. Like, does it not have a happy ending? Yes or no. That was the hardest part about it was it was does it not have a and then the the way to answer was yes or no. And no one could determine if a yes meant it did or didn't. Um, but so anyway, now it says does it have a sad ending? So Charlie thinks it has a sad ending. You think people are going to vote? I'm yes? going to say yes, because I don't exactly feel happy so much as relief for the Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons character. And I do feel sad for Benedict Cumberbatch and Cody Smith McPhee. I feel sorry for me who didn't get to see them get hot and heavy. 
<laughs> so you're saying it's a sad ending. Yeah, because they could have like done a you know slip and slide. Like you <laughs> kill him, Don't you do him, and then you kill him. <laughs> you slip in, you slip out. We didn't even Ew. talk about the smoking the cigarette scene though, which I think oh, is that really was so interesting. Hot. Oh yeah, he yeah. pulls the thing up. Slurp, slurp. I mean, Benedict Cumberbatch is smoking so much in this movie and the way that like Cody Smith McPhee weaponizes his body language of how he licks that cigarette before he wraps it up is so it's it's yeah, that's the thing. That scene is so tense because I'm like, this is kind of hot, but is this okay? Is he going to kill him? Is he going to fuck him? What's happening? Like that, that scene, which (laughs) it, 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 it unnerved me and made me feel things and totally. And I think that's absolutely what it wanted to achieve and and Mm -hmm. like just complete unease, but also like, I want this, but dangerous, but also eh, like, what I don't know. And then it cuts and you're almost relieved and disappointed at the same time. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So Bill, do you think this movie has a sad ending? Have we lost Bill? No, oh, I, I was sighing. Sorry, I'm thinking. I thought I sighed on mic, but I guess I no. didn't. Point Remember, you're a human mic. being. You just saw the power of the dog, and your initial impulse was, "I need this to go on doesthedogdie.com." Yes, this okay. is. The, you are all okay, right. I'm, five I'm in people, character. I'm five in people, character. Five people said it had a sad ending. Yeah. Um. I will also just say that uh, there is a question about genital mutilation and that was also answered yes to because that is a thing that happens so anyway thank you does the dog die.com once again is the perfect way to end any and all episodes and i look forward to hopefully returning to it again soon even if the movie doesn't have the word dog in the title <laughs> so that's that um charlie nash thank you so much for joining us and being here to be a part of this Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast chatting about this with you guys. Absolutely. Um, Before we go, let me just remind everyone that we are uh, brought to you by Mubi, M-U-B-I dot com slash film stage for a free 30-day trial. In addition to that, you can go to patreon.com slash the film stage show to give us your money. And if you do that and become part of our Slack, you can uh, hit up Bill Graham and see if he will send you one of his massive uh, Netflix (laughs) coffee table books. Yeah, I got the power of the dog. I got, I don't know, uh, uh, the the daughter. What, got what, five copies of the Midnight lost Sky. The Lost Daughter. Yeah. Did you also get that bottle of Sauvignon Blanc too? Yes, I did. Yes, Is I it did. any good? It tastes like shit. Well, it's okay. a fucking orange bottle wine, right? of wine that Netflix sent to film critics. Oh, look, oh, look, look. It's I'll... orange wine. It's supposed to be funky. Ew, it, it, ew. I, I like Sauvignon Blanc. That tasted like nothing. Look, I'm, I'll take it. Don't get me wrong. I drink the thing, but like, Jesus. <laughs> As a distiller, I am offended. I haven't gotten my, my mixer cup um, or my mixing. What is it? Like, oh, my for... For um shit, what's the movie? I the flask and the mixers for um <laughs> Oh no, I got the flask. You oh, got the flask? flask. What was the flask? Yeah. For? I got the flask for the western with uh Power of the Dog? No, 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 no. It's it's like a shoot 'em up western. <laughs> I, I, I feel the power like of the dog. <laughs> I the feel harder like they s- fall. The yes. harder they fall. Yes. I got yes. that. Which I was like, thank you for the branded thing that I will never have a use for. But you know. I, I will say, if they did send us booze for Power of the Dog, that would be fucking hilarious. <laughs> it kind of goes against <laughs> everything the movie's trying to say. 
I would have taken some gloves. Here, oh, yeah. Here is a sack of tobacco, a thing of whiskey, and uh, anthrax covered rope. <laughs> have a great day, gents. A dead cow, a dead anthrax cow. They just drop it off. A rabbit's of foot. Uh, yeah. a, a, a assemble yourself rabbit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's operation, but with that rabbit. Oh, yeah. man. That's great. Oh, Robin Barr, uh, Orb Report. Not much to write home about. Nominee, not, not, <laughs> this is not a good Orb movie. I don't think I've yeah. been here for an Orb Report, unless you count There's us a Different screaming. kind of orbs, because there was that giant castration scene. <laughs> Different kind of orbs, yes. But I know your least favorite orb haver, Thomas and Mackenzie, was in this movie. No, she's fine. She just has an annoying voice. That's all. I liked her in this more than I liked her in Last Night in Soho. And I, I like mean, her. I like her a lot. I also liked her in this more than I liked her in Last Night in Soho. Because Last Night in Soho was a fucking train wreck. Yeah. Okay, we agree on something, Brian. Yay! <laughs> what did you think of, uh, I don't know, what's another movie I liked? What do you think of Luca? I haven't watched it yet. But <gasps> I'm planning to this week. I know. Wow. Brian, nobody has watched Luca more than you. Not okay, I don't need the them to have watched it as much as me. I just need them to have watched it once. I got the screener. I'm lacking in my best animated film category in my ballot. So I will Do probably go watch the screener. It it's on go Disney+. Watch, Plus. Go see uh, All right. Disney Plus. Yeah. Well, oh, my God. I, I... I lied to my daughter and i don't feel bad about it because she we got a mcdonald's happy meal after she got her second covid vaccine and um on it was something for encanto and she said can we see this movie and i said i don't know where to see that movie because i am not watching encanto why it's so fun because i don't uh, support lin-manuel miranda (laughs) okay okay understandable (laughs) i fucking refuse uh, again oh but she'll go see sing too i'm sure no i've also shut your mouth robin she can hear you <laughs> i what about she the is boss on... baby too no she doesn't know about <laughs> okay. any of those movies i Hold very on. carefully go curate see. what she finds out about and i am very mad well i can't be mad at mcdonald's because i know they have a thing with disney i just don't i just wish disney wouldn't have made encanto i guess but um, it's a we, really good movie. I refuse to believe that. Um, the other so instead we came home and movie. we've just been watching Rango for the last five days. Oh, Jesus oh getting her uh, on the Gore Verbinski train. Oh yeah, she like she saw a picture of Rango when Rango was on Hulu and said, "Can we watch that?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I remember that movie. That was that was interesting." And I just forgot how fucking weird it is. There's mm-hmm. a, I, I I'll have to like pin it to the top of my Twitter because one of my favorite things I ever did on Twitter was. A full live tweeting of watching Rango with my at the time four year old daughter, and she just asked me what's happening, and I'd have to be like, "I there's no way to explain to you what's happening. Just <laughs> the roly polies are carrying him to the west, and that guy is technically Clint Eastwood, and the snake is fucking telling a lizard to look into his eyes because he wants to watch her die." It's not a movie for four-year-olds, but she loves it. So it's good. Yeah, it's a, uh, good a another good animated movie is The Mitchells versus the Machines. That what? one's on Netflix. Oh yeah, I didn't bother I to watch that. It, it looked I not liked good. It, Robin, I haven't seen it. Robin, Robin's Robin's voice has gotten <laughs> Robin so high that it's now whistling and disappeared. <laughs> um. I mean, I liked the Furby scene, but not as much as the Furby scene in Uncut Gems. Oh, Jesus. 
I am. Um, why would you, you were... show something to me that I can't buy, Rob? Why, th- that's <laughs> my favorite like image meme thing. Why would you show it to me if I can't have it? <laughs> Robin, I remember we saw Uncut Gems at the same screening, and oh we were my practically God. like levitating out of our seats. Like, <laughs> yeah. That, Did you? That do you remember a sweaty me ass movie? Sobbing, like I was a wet mess after watching that movie. Oh yeah, just I saying remember. the word "dad" over and over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> parlay, parlay. Yeah. That's all you gotta say. Uh, on Thanksgiving, uh, every one of my cousins and my brother-in-law all had like multi-level parlays going with like every football game. <laughs> and it just like gave me flashbacks to Uncut Gems. <laughs> but my uh, my brother-in-law actually made like over $500. So good for him. Mm. This but is it, how he won. That, that's how, This is how he wins. Uh, my other cousin, it was funny because he'd bet against the team that he actually loves. Um, because he just assumed that they were going to lose and they started to win. And he was like really upset. Cause he's like, I'm about to lose $2,000, but my team is going to win. <laughs> I was like, yeah. your life's a fucking nightmare. Congratulations on your daughter's christening, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, what were we talking about? Shouldn't we be trying to leave? Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. Get out of here. That what if Hamilton. we didn't even do a wrap up and plug? I do have to watch oh, the yeah. session. I got to know if Kendall, Fucking curls into a ball and (laughs) I was about to say implodes from his unescapable sadness. Um, I will say I'm kind of over secession this season. I am not. I'm so bad with TV right now, but I did watch the pilot a few weeks ago, but since we're in screener season, I've been just, yeah, you know, understandable. In. But once that's over, that's going to be the next show I binge because the pilot did hook me and I love everyone. Oh, good. Yeah. Cause it first... really doesn't get good till episode seven. of. The- I was about to say the first six episodes are terrible. So fully yeah. <laughs> one quarter of the entire series is bad. Yeah, it's not bad. It just doesn't hook me. And then the seventh episode, I was like, Oh my God. It's like, I mean, yeah, it was- that was me with the leftovers, frankly, which I think is oh. one of the best TV shows of the past ten years, maybe ever. And like, it really took me a long time to get on its wavelength. But once it did, whew. I'm one of the crazy people who still thinks that like the first season. Of, I think the whole of the leftovers is a masterpiece. Like all of them are eleven out of ten. But I think that the eleven out of ten that I would give the first season is in a slightly larger font than the eleven out of tens that I would give the second and third season. And I'm the only well, the- person I know who feels that way. I mean, the first season, I mean, the Carrie Coon episode of the first season is like genuinely one of the best episodes of television I've ever seen. But the, yeah. I do think it finds its footing once it steps its sort uh, so once it steps away from the uh, having to adapt the book and then just goes full on insane in seasons two and three. There so. was a there was an interview with um what's his face? Lindelof, where he said or Lindelof, where he's Lindelof, 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 where he Lindelof. says like, yeah, the first season I was like super depressed and I was definitely working through it in that show. And there's a part of me that's just like, well, fuck yeah, that's why I love it, because I have been that depressed before, and I like that it was put on screen for me to see. Like, I would legitimately tell people, like, hey, it's Sunday night, I have to go home and watch The Leftovers and then drink a pint of whiskey and cry for three hours, so see you Monday. (laughs) There was a period of time where The Leftovers and Twin Peaks The Return were on at the same time, and it was like the best Sunday nights of my life. (laughs) It were just those... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, if only we could get back to those days sick you sick sick people leftovers <laughs> is the best um yeah i almost i i thought about doing a rewatch of the leftovers like a week ago and i was like let's wait till after the holidays 
uh, maybe when the, I can't even imagine watching it while there's a global pandemic still going on. Oh, Jesus. I did it last year. I rewatched oh the entirety of the leftovers over the course of like the month leading up to my best friend's suicide. Um, so like, that's just how God. I process trauma, I guess. So it's I'm good. So sorry. It's, it's fun times. Um, it's a helpful, uh, thing to do. And then on the day of his suicide, I usually watch, uh, Manchester by the sea. And again, I think it's just like the anniversary. A, yes. Right. I'm not like, I'm not losing a new friend every year and being like, Oh sweet. Another <laughs> one did it. It's time to watch Manchester oh. again. Oh no. That would be funny. Um, no, I think it's a way for me to feel like less alone in my sadness. It's almost like a group therapy, but it's one I don't have to be around other people for, which is the best mm. kind of group therapy there is. Classic. Gives you, yeah, it gives you your own sense of catharsis in exactly. your own idiosyncratic way. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm glad that after one time away, I've managed to fill up 16 podcasting with Brian J. Rowan bingo sheets for everyone today. Yeah, no, no kidding. Good for job. real. So let's uh, <laughs> let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time that we unveil our deepest, darkest, soul-crushing secrets into their ears. We begin with our guest, Charlie Nash. Where can people find your stuff online? Uh, you can find uh, work that I've written for Edge Media at edgemedianetwork.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Letterboxd at ctnash91. That's ctnash91. And uh, if you are so inclined, you can also follow uh, the new podcast I'm on uh, with uh, my friends Kevin and Bryden at Almost Major. And we are available on uh, Spotify and iTunes. Among What does that cover? Uh, I, I mentioned it earlier, but it's like it, we talk about films from studios that are dead or. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Gotcha, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. yeah. <laughs> What's funny is I thought Bill had literally just looked it up and was asking what your cover art was. <laughs> I don't know it's, why. <laughs> I like our cover art. It's pink. <laughs> That's great. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of Bill Graham, Bill Graham, where can people find your stuff online? Speaking of Bill. <laughs> I don't know. Look, not every segue can be a fucking masterpiece. Okay. Well, you tried. It's okay. Um, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG. I do not tweet very much, uh, but I do post on Instagram quite frequently. Uh, you can follow that on at Billstagram. Um, and you can also find me mixing it up on the Slack channel, as always, having a lot of fun there, as always. I need to get back on the Slack channel. I've been terrible. I've been slacking. Ugh. Uh, zing. I'm going to leave. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think you should leave. Um, Robin Barr. <laughs> Would to forget my name. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at <laughs> R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. Uh, I often tweet about random stupid shit related to movies and also my crushes of the week. And you can also find me on Letterboxd, uh, also at my name, I rate out of four stars, so don't at me, Brian. Like a complete fucking... Wait, wait a second. First of all, I've never come at you on Letterboxd. You've added me on this podcast about it. Um, yeah. And you can sometimes find my writing at The Hollywood Reporter. All right. Awesome. I give that plug three out of four stars. Um, Solid B+. Plus. Correct. As for me, uh, you know where to find me. I can be found on Twitter, Instagram, all of the social media sites that I have deigned to be a part of at Brian J. Rowan. 
because I am not very creative, but I have an excellent sense of cultivating a brand. Um, you can find out more about my distillery at schmidtspirits.com. And uh, you can find uh, my writing on movies and every episode of this here podcast at thefilmstage.com. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next week. Excellent music choice.